Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kyle. And uh, this month we are catching up on uh, Troy Duffy. Uh, <laughs> actually, we're catching up on Irish-themed um, cinema, and we're working through An Evening with Troy Duffy. And this week we're working on a Troy Duffy crushed beer can by the name of the Boondock Saints, uh, his directorial <laughs> debut. Uh, he Did you catch my joke there? Like a Spike Lee joint, a Troy Duffy crushed beer can? Uh, <laughs> Very clever, sir. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, so this was his, he wrote the script for this, and as we've touched on the uh, documentary Overnight, uh, one of the one of the things that got the deal was that he wanted to direct the movie, and Harvey Weinstein, uh, who had discovered Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino, was like, "You know what? Fuck it. I'll let him. I'll let him direct this movie." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think we we kind of agree. Like, it's it's pretty impressive that this movie was actually pulled off. Um, and as you said before, we started recording. This isn't a bad movie i definitely find it harder to revisit personally because i've seen it so many times when i was young okay so going back like i could only get past like the first 20 minutes the first time i try to sit through it Uh, because i'm like okay (laughs) i I need to take good notes and i'm just not in the right headspace right now uh to try to watch this so i had to split it up yeah i i had seen this movie i think exactly once before um when i was about uh maybe 13 or no probably 14 or 15 uh which i think uh, as i said on our uh, episode about the documentary overnight uh all about the director and writer uh, troy duffy um (laughs) i feel like the only appropriate age to see the boondock saints is about 13 to maybe 17 not quite 18 uh because in a lot of ways like troy duffy is a person seeing him in overnight i get the sense that he has kind of a immature mindset and it extends to his writing style too so like a lot of the content in this movie i think i enjoyed it more when i was a teenager but now when i come back to it like you had said it's it's not a bad movie by any means um but parts of it just feel like oh this is both dated and wrong (laughs) dated wrong and there's there's several instances where we're missing information um yeah it's a little sloppy it's a little sloppy um did you watch the deleted scene that i sent you i did um (laughs) i'm trying to figure out like where that was supposed to be slotted in so that was supposed to be slotted in after before they go out for saint patrick's day so the clip i'm referring to is um the the twins are both naked in their hideout Uh, this by the way this is supposed to be following the mcmanus brothers um but they had gotten into an altercation at, at work and uh the one brother got kicked in the nuts so he's icing his his nuts the other brother's <laughs> naked getting a shower norman Reedus, and their mom calls oh, okay their mom calls and she's talking crazy you can tell she's super drunk i'm guessing from ireland is where she's calling from and uh she's saying that she's gonna kill herself and it's a really dumb scene and i remember watching the deleted scene and i'm like wow like the first time i watched it, i'm like wow that was really dumb i'm I'm glad they kept it out of the movie um because it would have definitely not helped explain why they know how to speak so many languages because this woman 
<laughs> their mother is not one who's like, yeah, you need to learn a uh, bunch of yeah, languages. No, that, she would not have been enforcing that. <laughs> <laughs> not even a little bit. And she like shoots no, a gun I mean, out she, the... She's like borderline lady from uh, the Goonies and throw mama from the train. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just, like she's on that level in terms of like motherliness. <laughs> she's playing suicide pranks on her sons on St. Patrick's Day. They should have been it, it was St. Patrick's Day was the day that she did it too. So maybe that's like a an April Fool's Day too in Ireland. I don't know. I, well, she I mean, got they them. Do, they do say at, like at one point I think in the scene prior to that um right before the workplace altercation like give us a break it's St. St. Patrick's Day. Um I don't know enough about like actual St. Paddy's Day traditions uh, other than corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> but um yeah. Maybe there is some kind of like April Fool's Day thing associated with it. I feel like um, now that you're replaying that scene, the deleted one, uh, I feel like chunks of it got repurposed and added to other scenes in the movie. Uh, like, for instance, her sense of humor. Um, they, the Both the brothers, the McManus brothers, seem to, to embody that in some ways, like when they're dealing with uh, Mr. David De La Rocco. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rocco. And then uh, he he also does the uh, the I'm gonna kill myself gag later on in the movie. Um, so I feel like maybe it was decided that um, this isn't gonna work. Also, the mother doesn't really seem to have a place in this story. Uh, no, nor, nor do any nor do any women apparently. <laughs> I just assumed um, that she was dead. Honestly, yeah, I I did too. Um, so I can see why they excised this this scene in particular. So we're actually um, recording this on St. Patrick's Day, and I believe we dropped overnight today. Uh, so yeah. this is com- coming out a little bit, a little bit after St. Patrick's Day. But uh, you know, this podcast, Trevor and I tend to pick movies that the other one hasn't seen, and we set that aside because we've both seen this one, and definitely, I've definitely seen the second Boondock Saints movie. But <laughs> we're trying to go at this uh, glass half full, you know, try to, yeah. you know. Yeah try to find some some good things from the movie even though it definitely has some issues um but yeah so i'll just give a if you haven't seen the boondock saints i'm surprised you're listening to this uh (laughs) i can i can lay out the plot real quick uh two brothers who are squatting in a loft in south boston are get into a little bit of trouble with the russian mob and god tells them that they have to start killing mobsters uh in some way or another and they start doing that, and then they, that's it. That They just do that. And then yeah, the I was about ends. to say, you can just cut it there. Yeah, the <laughs> like, that's the plot. <laughs> um, yeah, two brothers have a vision, or hear the voice of God, and go out and start killing people. Yep. Uh, Merry Mishaps and Sue, directed by Troy Duffy. Um, starring Sean Patrick Flannery, and who, I, I don't know what he's up to these days, but Norman Reedus, of course, uh, you know him from The Walking Dead or Blade Two. Uh, yeah. So and don't forget Willem Dafoe. Uh, and of course, definitely the highlight of the movie. The only good part of the movie. Yeah, uh, actually, I, I, you, you know, you're pretty much on the mark. Although there was at least one other character that I enjoyed. Yakaveta. The wrong. Yeah. Yakaveta. Yeah, Yakaveta. Absolutely. He was great. I really enjoyed him. He's <laughs> very charismatic. He. They needed a little bit more of him, honestly. Because I know I could have. I could have watched a whole movie of just him. Like, I actually read up on Yakaveta. He, the guy who played him, uh, mm-hmm. he he's lived all over the place. I thought he was really Italian, but like he was born, I think, in America. He lived in Canada. He lived all over the place, but uh, he's not actually Italian. I don't think. 
which completely fooled me because I'm like, he did. I thought he did a pretty decent job. <laughs> I mean, he he. I think he has Italian lineage, even if he is isn't not directly, cul- you know, culturally Italian. But uh, I just pulled up his page here and says English-born Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, born in London to Italian parents. So yeah, he's ethnic Italian. There we go. Um, but yeah. Uh, shall we get to the film? Yeah, so we uh, we cut. I think we just get like an opening scene where it just says South Boston, Massachusetts, yeah, St. Patrick's it's a Day. Fancy helicopter shot that lasts about five seconds. So maybe uh, maybe that tells you what our budget is here. Oh, you can tell <laughs> they like, had a day of helicopter shots. <laughs> yeah, we we no, we had half a day of helicopter <laughs> shots. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The sun's in the same place. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's like a shot of some like dilapidated factory towers, and it says South South Boston. St. Patty's Day. And uh, we go to a church uh, midday. I guess people go to church midday. Um, and there's a priest talking, and they're like, yeah, we brought in this. Or we're like, here, I'm introducing this other priest to talk. And he's like, thank you for coming all the way across town to talk today. And this priest just starts giving his sermon kind of about how people are bad and good people don't do things about it or something. And uh, the McManus brothers, who are either too cool or too Irish to wait for the sermon to be to be over with, um, walk up to the what is it? The what is that thing called? Uh, it's a statue of Jesus. Yeah, the statue <laughs> of Jesus. And, I don't know what you call it. But. And do and do some praying. And oh yeah, they they kiss his feet, man. Yeah. The guest priest wants to go stop them. I'm like, yeah, try this shit at Joel Olstein's church, man. They'll they'll knock you down. <laughs> That dude's got money, um, but yeah, the one priest goes to goes to like stop him, and the other priest is like, "Hey, no, 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 we don't do that," which doesn't make any sense in the movie. Yeah, the the placement of this scene felt very strange because like their, I guess their reputation in this neighborhood feels like they're they're made men of some sort. Yeah, like this seems like something Jack Nicholson would do in The Departed. Yeah, like um, this but is some- these guys like immediately after the scene are shown to just be like meat packing plant guys yeah these guys this this would be a scene for the end of the movie yeah if, yeah in fact it's very confusing because it it certainly feels more appropriate for the end of the film mm. Mm. actually not to think about it maybe it is it is the end of the movie we just didn't realize it all well, the opening montage of this movie while while beautiful musically um the editing of it is a little maddening um it it was it's very bizarre, very fragmented. Um, I had a lot of objections to the opening montage. I Again, the, you would. the 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 Irish folk music that plays over it is, aside from a couple of choice lines in the movie, the single most memorable thing about this movie for me. Um, I remember listening to that opening piece of music, uh, you know, a handful of times on my Walkman when I, when I was a teenager. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it feels like it belongs at the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, we get this uh, we get this scene where they're leaving the church, and the guest speaker is uh, droning on and on about a uh, a murder that occurred, um, and uh, there were tons of witnesses, and nobody did anything about it. Uh, apparently, this is a, a true story. Um, it says the murder victim of uh, by the name of Kitty Genovese. So this was an actual incident in 1964 wherein many, many people witnessed a horrible murder and did nothing about it. And I think when they leave the church, they have like a choice line of like the Monsignors like getting the idea now, which again, reinforces the fact that this should be the end of the movie. Yeah. 
that they have influence over their surroundings as as opposed to where we initially see them as meat packing plant workers well i mean you could you could say that they are going from the church to the meat packing plant arguably but also the way he cuts the way this movie's edited it mm-hmm. could be the scene after they talk to billy connolly like they could be going back to the church <laughs> it possibly could be, but that's asking a lot of your audience to it remember is. it and is i th- this entire movie suffers from uh, tarantino syndrome yeah it's big like, time yeah um this movie came out in 1999 i, I don't actually know when it was written uh, probably prior to 1997 because that's when the the documentary overnight the day was. after he watched pulp fiction is the day yeah <laughs> that, that's my guess <laughs> because the the non-linear uh sequences in this film the non-linear narrative uh was popularized by uh tarantino qt yeah yeah and uh in the 90s this was kind of inescapable among bro 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 dudes who uh, had a thing for the tarantino style but uh that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, so this whole uh, this whole opening montage keeps cutting back and forth between like some pretty pretty good shots of of the Boston locales. Yeah. And uh, it shows them at work and they're they're horsing around like I think Norman Reedus smacks Sean Patrick Flannery with a, with a hunk of meat. That's a that is unsanitary and probably yeah. not a good thing to do on the job. Wash your fucking hands. <laughs> No joke. <laughs> like, for real, man. You're handling people's future food. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this is when a very large woman is yes. introduced to them on the job, and they're asked to train her. Yes. she. Um, he also, Troy, recently watched PCU, I think, um, and <laughs> learned that some women have um, have feminist views of certain phrases. Uh, and he... Uh, Maybe to provoke her, maybe he doesn't realize where it came from. He says the rule of thumb, he's trying to tell her something, and she makes a scene, and she looks like a trucker. Like, she's she's a big she's a big lady. Like, she's got sleeveless... She, she looks like um, the lady in the fifth element that they try to pair yeah. Corbin Dallas up with yeah. on his mission. Honestly, it might be. It I might, think the, it might be. <laughs> it might be the same actress. I'm not sure. Um... <laughs> But she does make a scene. She's like rule of thumb. She's like it was. She tells the rule of like men were allowed to beat their wives with um, a stick as long as it was no thicker than their thumb. And I was like rule of thumb. Well, at least you learned something from this. Um, <laughs> and uh, to provoke her a little bit further, just to mess with her, the brothers like, well, maybe they should have called it rule of wrist. We can't really do any damage with rule of thumb, and mm-hmm. oh, it just makes her mad. And she ends up kicking the one brother in the in the nuts and then the other brother comes in and knocks her out oh yeah <laughs> just like full on all four knuckles like knuckles to face like this is not a slap <laughs> this is not a shove this is a punch in the face title sequence violence towards women uh, <laughs> yeah that's how you want to ease your ease your audience into the the cold bath <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay i mean that's i mean you like, definitely well, have, i guess we're in it <laughs> i mean you you definitely got our attention uh uh-huh. so we'll go with that um so this movie we we cut to like they don't get fired obviously um and these guys are a big deal with this meatpacking plant like they must be very very charismatic because they have a they they're big deal you know they're the they're church. very much leonardo dicaprio in the in the cargo hold of the titanic like yeah <laughs> everybody yeah. seems to know them and love them 
Like they're 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 hot shit at the meatpacking plant. And we get to we get to the bar, and I was gonna say, Trevor, um, like thinking back on this movie, I'm like, man. These guys in the bar for St. Patrick's Day, I'm like, that's not a very full bar, but also at the same time, that's a pretty shitty bar, and that's probably about as busy as it's going to get on St. Patrick's Day. That's not the one where the, the fun the fun friends are going in to grab a drink. I'm like, no, 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 that's that's a locals bar for older guys. That, that's not a that's not a fun St. Patrick's well, Day it's, bar. It's a pretty shitty bar, and this is a movie that had its budget cut in half prior to production. <laughs> yes. <laughs> extras are expensive, and uh, I think it's telling that half of the extras in the scene are the director and his band. His band. <laughs> uh, oh, and th- this movie does something which I hate. I don't know if QT does this in his movies, uh, where we introduce the character with a freeze frame, and we we explain it to you. You beat me to it, man. I hate it uh, so much. Uh, this is, to me, Kyle... I watch a lot. Let me let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> I watch a lot of direct-to-video crap, like a lot. And, yeah. Um, one of one of the key signs in determining the quality of the picture going forward is this: is if your if your shitty direct-to-video action movie has freeze frames and on-screen titles to introduce new characters, you're gonna have a bad time. Yeah. Well, there is one. It's just simple math. There is one movie that I will defend it, and that is Can't Hardly Wait. Because when we're introduced Mm -hmm. to the characters in that movie, we're given uh, it's their like yearbook quote, like they get their uh, activities, their name, their quote that they have, and it adds to the characters, and they're they're kind of funny. So I'll give Can't Hardly Wait. I'll give them that because it it's specifically supposed to be yearbooks. It it absolutely can be done well. Uh, It really can. In fact, it's something I could I could see myself doing at some point if I was making a short film or something, uh, because it is a a fun shorthand. the The main thing you need to keep in mind is that it it raises your standards. If you're going to introduce a character in this fashion, you need to make that character a character. Mm-hmm. Like like I don't think they had on screen titles for the characters in Snatch, but each one of those characters when they're introduced to us via you know montage or what have you. Uh, they are very distinct, very colorful characters. Well, we, I think that's very important. That we if get, you're going to th- throw this character at the audience and say, look at this guy, remember his name, remember what makes him distinct, you better give him some colorful elements that actually earn like, actually earn that, you know? Yeah, well, I think in Snatch, we just get everybody introduced up top. Like, it's not throughout the movie. Like, this, I mean, we introduce Ron Jeremy and Yakaveta the same way. If it's all at the top like they do in Snatch, I'm like, that's okay. And there's cool names there, too. Bullet Tooth Well, when Tony. you do it at the top, that's really cool because it, it gives you the audi- it gives the audience something to look forward to. Yeah. Where it's like, if, if you establish that each and every one of these people will be given screen time at some point and will be worth your time, you start to look forward to, like, oh, what about that weird guy with the funky glasses? Like, I, like what's he going to do? I mean, it's like watching a kung fu movie, and there's like the one little guy in the corner with his arms folded, and you're like, "What's he gonna do? Like, he hasn't moved yet. <laughs> it's like he's gonna be super awesome, right? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, you got to get the audience like hyped for for what's to come, and if you do it up front, it's a it's a way to tease what's to come. Yeah, I was just thinking about how how are the, were the McManus brothers gonna introduce Rocco and what he does for a living, other than just giving it a title. 
Well, you know, I don't think the McManus brothers would be introducing much of anything because they are the most paper thin characters you'll ever meet. Yeah, um, I got nothing from them this whole time, other Neither... than they're vaguely Irish, overeducated, oh. and uh, good at everything. <laughs> vaguely <laughs> Irish is a great way to describe them. Um, so yeah, so we get uh, we get all the boys in the bar and they're having drinks, and we get to looks like closing time, which I'm gonna call bullshit on this. Um, there's no way that these guys on St. Patrick's Day are gonna be 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 able to compose themselves like this when the bar is closing. Like these guys have already pissed themselves, or they've already passed out. Like oh, yeah, they're they're formulating clean, distinct thoughts, and you know they're speaking in sentences, and they're they having have both a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> they're not you know rocking back and forth or on the floor swimming. <laughs> I don't remember most of the St. Patrick's days that I went out because you're kind of not going to. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Like they, yeah, they're. They could be having a philosophical conversation right now with the bartender, but not. They're just uh, making fun of him for having Tourette syndrome. Um, yeah, I, this is where the the immaturity starts to like rear its ugly head a little bit. I mean, first instance was definitely the, you know, the large woman with the the feminist agenda. Yeah, that, that seemed very snide and very I don't know immature. But yeah, having having a bartender with Tourette's is like shorthand for it's like Beavis and Butthead kind of humor, where it's yeah. like. Stuff you don't have to think about, you know. It's just, it's just funny because it is. Um, my note says the bar is closed. They should be drunker. Um, <laughs> and I think you're right. Uh, so I believe the Russian guys come in. Um, yeah, this big Russian bear comes in, and uh, he's like, "Hey, you guys, got to." He's like, "You got to close the bar." And they're like, "Yeah, we don't want to close the bar." And it kind of smarts off, and I think he smacks their drinks out of their hands, and then we fade away. So, Kyle, um, there's a little thing called uh, plantings and payoffs. Uh, it's like screenwriting 101. Yeah. Uh, so an example I, I th- I, I'm reminded of is like in a video game where there's like a, a big monster or something that you have to watch out for. And say you run across some guy and he tells you like, oh, man, you got to watch out for this monster. Like it, he's, he's going to fuck you up really bad. Like, you know what makes that? introduction of that monster much more impactful is if you let it breathe a little bit mm-hmm. like if you're told about this thing you get some time to think about it and imagine what it's going to be um doing it wrong is having that monster be like behind the very next door you open yeah <laughs> and that's exactly what happens in the scene is that the Tourette's bartender is saying like he's tearfully like spilling his guts to his i guess his regular patrons and he's saying like oh i gotta close the bar because these russian fucks are hassling me and two seconds later the russian guys show up to hassle him yeah (laughs) it's like oh information that would have been useful to me yesterday and the mcmanus brothers don't understand how organized crime works so they're like yeah we're just gonna we're gonna beat up these russian guys but we'll we'll get to that yeah, uh, this is where the nonlinear narrative uh, rears its ugly head. Um, so the the Russian guy, by the way, uh, Ivan Chekhov, uh, he gets he gets a freeze frame title card. I of took course. note of every instance of this because, goddammit, I had to. Yeah. Um, he instigates like a little bit of a physical conflict between uh, the McManus brothers and himself and his his two goons, uh, whatever the Russian term for goomba is. Um, and then we fade to black. <laughs> and, and then uh, we cut to uh, Willem Dafoe arriving via uh, electric guitar riff. Yes, uh, and the dipshit cop 
Greenlee is trying to reconstruct the scene, uh, <laughs> which is actually pretty funny. I'll, I'll give it to mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. I think I'll he's give a, that to him. That was a fun running gag. He's a stand-up comedian from Boston. Um, and yeah, this this is pretty funny. Like he's got these dumb theories. He's just <laughs> just going going off the rails with it. And Defoe just kind of the chief's about to go up and talk to him. But he's like, "Hang on, let me let me listen to this guy has to say." And quickly, Defoe goes up to him. He's like, "So you've got all these different theories. None of them are supported." And uh, Greeley's kind of confrontational, like, well, "Who the fuck are you?" And well, Willem Dafoe is the FBI, since the the guys that they're looking at on the ground that are dead are the Russian fellows from the bar. It's a federal matter because they're part of the Russian mob. Mm-hmm. Um, so Greenlee's, <laughs> Greenlee's theory as to what went down here, and uh, I believe we have two dead bodies in an alley, Yeah, uh, one of whom has a diaper on, essentially. Um, his, <laughs> his theory can be summed up as the huge guy theory. And uh, a serial crusher? Serial crusher, yeah. Serial crusher and a huge guy. Uh, so his basically somebody suffered some like horrible head trauma, and uh, his theory is that some huge guy stepped on him. <laughs> yeah, he's Which pretty Which is dumb. pretty amusing, because yeah. you, you can tell from his demeanor, and like he's got a leather jacket and a bit of swagger to him. Like You can tell he's like pretty self-satisfied. He's like, yeah! figure that out all by myself how about that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah defoe very 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 quickly puts him in his place um and this is where uh we very 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 quickly uh are informed that mr defoe his character uh, agent smecker is that right yes paul smecker uh is a gay man oh my god yeah oh my god kyle there was you, like five. There was like five gay people in 1999. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, honesty, like it's not that bad of a gay character. It's uh, not. It's really not. There are um, other. There are other ways that he's like other ways that the director is offensive in this movie, but somehow it wasn't with the one gay character <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, I, I, I feel like. I feel like maybe there was some conflict between Defoe and Duffy over the portrayal of this character, uh, because some sometimes it's it's very overt and sometimes it's very subtle, and I mean, leave it to your own personal opinion on which which portrayal you'd prefer. But there are some like subtle acting ticks here and there that I thought were actually quite good. Um, oh no, he Willem Defoe, I think is, I think. What freedom? I think he has a little bit of freedom with the character, a little bit, and that little, yeah, little bit, bit. <laughs> is, is what makes it good. Um, if this had been anybody else who would have listened to Troy Duffy, I'm sure the character would have been like Jack from Will and Grace. Um, it probably would have been really, really bad. <laughs> but he does a good job, and we we learn quickly that uh, Will Will Defoe is going to the crime scene. He throws on his CD player, his his CD Walkman. Um, <laughs> You don't really realize how old a movie is until you see a Walkman come out. <laughs> and he's listening to some kind of opera, and he's just kind of going through the scene thinking, and um, he pretty much pieces it together. He sends the other officers um, around, like, hey, I need you to go look and see if anybody's had water damage, because uh, he's suspecting that maybe... Because the the... Guy, I think, was beat to death with the the top, the the top of the toilet. 
and yeah, it's and there's smashed. porcelain dust everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there's just like white powder everywhere. Um, he, so clearly, some sort of bathroom fixture yeah. was involved. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do like his coffee order from Green. He's like, oh, why don't you get me a ca- ca- uh, cafe latte? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's 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 a fun way of him like dismissing the detective who was working on the case just a few minutes earlier and it's a it's a running gag throughout the movie and i actually thought it was pretty amusing yeah um this this sequence here where he's listening to his walkman and he's piecing together what what may have gone down here is is pretty good filmmaking um camera works a bit drifty like i feel like maybe the the blocking between the cinematographer and and the actor willem dafoe uh, maybe wasn't that coordinated <laughs> maybe yeah. it was thrown together very quickly where it's like i don't quite know where he's going to go when but uh just just follow him um but it's entirely wordless uh, it's just him kind of doing a little dance through the the crime scene and you can see like through his facial acting and his body language that's like oh he's piecing things together and uh he notes that uh, a gun was discharged a couple of times on the scene and that's like one of the bigger elements that he discovers here and one um, of the, the the subtle uh subtle tells that of his uh, character's sexuality here and and more importantly uh the other character's reaction to it um is he says a couple lines i think here, like he asked uh, his ca- his coffee order actually uh, cafe latte twist of lemon sweetened milk i thought he said um, sweet and low sweet and low i think um, he said sweet and low um we cut to a shot at like the, a couple other detectives on the scene and they kind of like give each other an elbow nudge um which is interesting because i could totally see that actually happening you know among the boston pd or something yeah and uh at one point he's instructing a beat cop to when he's asking him to to look into any uh, leaks in the building uh, he puts his hand on the guy's shoulder and again we cut back to the other cops like going huh it's like oh he's one of them <laughs> it's it's small details that, that might go a long way um especially since uh, we can see those characters later um their opinion of him change throughout very the much very very much, much so um, so initially you can tell they're a little standoffish with him but later on we'll we'll find that they they all come to like respect each other mutually well, I mean, you can be kind of standoffish until you realize that the person who's basically in charge of you is way smarter than you, <laughs> which I think they figure out pretty quick. Um, actually, we yeah. figure out right after uh, one of the one of the cops says, "Hey, a lady in this building uh, says that there was leaking," and like, "What kind of building is?" It? He's like, "It's all just squatters and uh, like illegal immigrants um, sleeping here." And they go up to the top floor, and Greeley's still not having it. <laughs> and this is where he says, "I might just be wanting a bagel with my coffee." <laughs> so that's that's pretty much the signature line in the movie, aside from one other that comes towards the end. Um, um. <laughs> yeah, he, they they get to the McManus brothers. Shitty shit. Okay, real. Quick. The odds of one of these guys getting laid just it seems like almost impossible because. They're attached to the hip, and their apartment is disgusting. They don't even have a door for the for the pooper. Like it's just a toilet in a room with showers and beds. That's yeah, it. Look, it looks like a room where Mel Gibson would be tortured in mm-hmm. right before he kills a bunch. Oh, of people. literally, he was just tortured <laughs> in Lethal Weapon One up there. Like that's yeah, it's where Lethal it Weapon. It's either Lethal Weapon One or Conspiracy Theory. 
I mean, <laughs> I'm guessing. I mean, they're pretty heavy drinkers too, so I guess it doesn't really matter. You know, maybe maybe Mel Gibson like bunks with them when he's in town or something. <laughs> he probably does. <laughs> He's uh, like, so hang on, you guys. You guys have like electrical wiring you can hook up to me. Like, I need that to get to sleep. You know, I also need people that I can like strangle to death with my legs. You know, it's 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 important. Um, so I think we cut to where do we go from here? I think uh, we go to the uh, hospital. Because we go to the hospital. We go yeah. to the hospital, and this is where I get my theory on Troy Duffy. So we go to the hospital. The the boys are sitting there on a gurney talking to a little kid, and they've got bathrobes on and boots. Um, and there's a nun sitting in the middle. Like, there's three nuns, and one sitting in the middle has a black eye. And I remember this, like, originally watching it. I ne- didn't pay much attention to the three nuns. I thought it was just a setup for them using um, foul language and the, the Tourette's bartender to use foul language in front of them. But mm-hmm. it's odd that there's a nun with a black eye. At a mm-hmm. hospital, and my theory is like this: this movie doesn't doesn't like women. Like the director, <laughs> assault like there's sexual assault, um, actual physical assault, and let's see here: we stun gun a lady, and then <laughs> there's another one. I've got another one written down, but I think that maybe uh, Duffy went to Catholic school because he was raised in in uh, Boston, and this is a very religious. Uh, very Catholic movie. Uh, mm. I think he might have it out for nuns. I think he might have been subject to some harsh nunnery uh, uh, growing I up. I think, and again, this this just speaks to my theory of just general immaturity. Um, I think Mr. Duffy has a problem with institutions mm. of any sort. Um, I could see it's that. It's a very, very common mindset of you know rebellious youth. Because, um, yeah, re- religion really does play into the plot in some ways and the characterization however it's important to note that the the iconic prayer in this film is a family prayer it's like a family credo it, it doesn't come from the church as far as i know so it's influenced by the church for sure um as anybody who grows up in that environment certainly will be whether they choose to be or not mm-hmm. um but it comes directly from like their family lineage um so yeah i I could totally see him just having a problem with with the church in general. Um, but yeah, that was a strange detail because it felt like something that needed an explanation, but never, as far as I know, it was never given to us. And how the fuck are these guys getting medical treatment? These guys cannot have insurance. I don't even think these guys are in the country legally. Yeah, no, I, I, I was very confused. Like, this is what you had meant by uh, there are some holes in this story. Um, not not like super important holes, but definitely holes that you notice when you're watching casually. Um, so yeah, the the Tourette's bartender shows up and tells them, "Hey, this FBI guy came to see me. By the way, we the viewer never saw that, um, <laughs> and he's looking for you guys." Uh, and yeah, he spouts off some profanity. We get some cheap laughs of uh, the nuns, you know, looking at him shocked. Like oh my god! This oh my gosh! In a Catholic <laughs> hospital, <laughs> most unorthodox. Um, and then yeah, they they leave the hospital and their plan. Uh, they I think they even tell each other on the spot like we're gonna go turn ourselves in. It was self defense. Yeah. Um, um, and then we cut immediately to the police station, and I I had like a whoa moment here where it was like I feel like there are some scenes missing here. <laughs> Because we cut to Willem Dafoe walking up and down, like the office desks, 
uh, talking to all the cops in the Boston PD, and he's pissed at them because they leaked the story to the press. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't want the, the, the killers to, you know, be lionized in some fashion. Um, and he starts, like, briefing them on what they're going to be doing to track these people down. Uh, Greenlee objects and says, oh, these guys are, like, halfway to Mexico by now. And to make a, a gag out of it, uh, the, the McManus brothers show up to turn themselves in right way saying that. But this whole speech that Defoe gives here, like, I was like, what? I didn't know any of this. Like, I didn't know the press was involved. I didn't know that these two characters, whoever the fuck they are, are being portrayed as heroes to the, the, the public and through the press. It just felt like there was like 10 minutes of movie missing. Yeah, how, we don't know. They All they've done is just assess the crime scene and realize that two people that live next to the building killed two guys from the Russian mob. Russian mob. That's all we know. That's it. How do we speculate any kind of story? Like, how how did they form any kind of idea of the motivation behind these guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't really think about that, but now that you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, uh, it's all in service to a small gag of having Greenlee be humiliated when the McManus brothers walk in, like, during during this little argument. And then we get that fun line of Smecker asking for a... What was it on- onion bagel with what now? Onion bagel, cream cheese. <laughs> yeah, and Greenlee's pretty- just kind of got his head between his knees, like ah, fuck, fucking <laughs> wrong again. Uh, yeah, so they go into the interrogation room, and I—it's a '90s movie, man. Everybody's smoking inside. I love it. Um, <laughs> which is probably one of the reasons why I've watched this movie several times. It's like, yeah, it's just a—it's a nice movie to smoke along with because everybody's doing <laughs> it. Um, and they're um, Smecker's about to interview them. He's like, hey, this is gonna be recorded. And they're like, hang on a second. And they speak to each other. And I think French. At this Gaelic. Gaelic. They speak in Gaelic. That's right. Um, and I'm like, that's an understandable language for them to speak. It's, it's you know, it's Scottish, Highlander, I guess, something well, like well, that. Irish. Um, um, something up there. I don't I, know how common it is for people to actually speak Gaelic, especially it, on American soil. But okay. We'll I had to that. Google. I had to Google this because we watched Robin Hood. Uh uh, Prince of Thieves, and he hires the Celts to mm-hmm. take over that forest. And I'm like, what the fuck is this dude saying? Like, la, la, <laughs> and I'm like, I think he's speaking Gaelic. And stuff's so like, I think Gaelic's Irish. I'm like, I think it's Scottish because if the Celts are Scottish, I think that's Gaelic. And I looked it up, and it is actually the Celts were uh, Scottish, and it is it was Gaelic that he was speaking. Um, gotcha. I always I always associated with Ireland myself. Um, yeah, me too. But I mean, it's actually even, even uh, the the wrestler Seamus uh, is referred to as the Celtic warrior, yeah. or the Great White because he is a very pale man. He with is red the hair. whitest person I've ever. He seen. He is the whitest person. I bet you Hands if you down. slapped him on the on the man boob, it would just leave this handprint just bright red for like an entire week. So yeah, they uh, they mentioned to each other before they start recording, like, hey, let's not mention anything about the guns and the money that we took from the mob guys. Let's let's just leave that out. And like, okay, so they start to recount the story. Now, I personally kind of like this bar scene. Um, that's just me. Uh, I don't know how you felt about it. Um, it's it's brief and it's chaotic, and that's all it needed to be. Yeah, uh, it doesn't need to be glamorized in any fashion. Although it is, um, there are some. There's some beats here where it's like, okay, you're making this look too cool. He like does a, sl- a sloppy bar fight needs to be sloppy, but like when they're doing like 
double bottles over the head and like slamming slow people motion. into mirrors in slow motion. It's a little bullshit. He but. uses too much slow motion. That's that's one of my big problems. With that's him. a '90s thing. Um, John Woo was a big influence on Tarantino, and consequently a big influence on folks like Troy Duffy and other meatheads. Um, slow motion was very much in vogue, as was a uh, guns akimbo. You know dual wielding weapons oh, and yeah. stuff like that and trench coats <laughs> and all of these things are in this movie in heavy doses oh uh, uh, yeah, so yeah the, the bar fight's very quick it's very chaotic uh troy duffy uh is involved in the in the fisticuffs oh in the uh, brood his brother and those other two guys are in there as well yeah so they they are made to look like super tough guys i don't think any of them gets touched during this whole fight and these it needs to be said these russian guys are quite large um but the mcmanus brothers are crafty like they they sweep the leg right to begin the fight, but well, the um, brood are pretty big dudes. Like Troy Duffy and those other guys, like at least two of those guys are pretty big guys, and it looks like they've been in a scrap or two. Because I do like the way they start this. They start by punching the dude in the nuts, and then the two guys on the sides <laughs> of them just start beating ass. Like it's it's pretty good. It's like a trigger, like a gun goes off, and they just start beating ass. I <laughs> found nice. My favorite part is the uh, bartender shadow boxing. <laughs> while he's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I caught that too. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, um, this this feels very very much like a a, a bro fantasy of sorts. Yeah, like it I, is. I've listened to too many drunken people tell me stories of like their proudest moment, where like, yeah, me and my guys, we all like got into this horrible situation. Like, yeah, we all like got it together and went back to back. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, I my when I was getting out of the navy um, two weeks beforehand, uh, the rest of the guys that I worked with had to go down to Florida for firefighting training. Um, and there was only three of us left um, that stayed behind, and uh, they called. <laughs> uh, they called me one day because um, apparently one of the guys that stayed behind with me was missing. They couldn't find him, and apparently he had been arrested. And they called me that morning, like, "Hey, where, where's he at?" I'm like, "Oh, I don't know. I I wasn't with him last night." And my buddy, who's down in Florida doing the firefighting turns, like, "Dude, we got into a bar brawl last night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> some shit popped off, and there's like." There's like 12 of these guys, and they're all, you know, firefighters. And it, it just it went off in a bar. I'm like, that's one of my bucket list things is to be in a bar brawl. And it all, it, everybody came out okay. I'm like, I missed it. I missed the bar brawl. But I've missed, those days have come and gone. That's no longer on the bucket list. Yeah, I should hope not. But I don't I mean, want to be in a Donnie There's one thing I've learned about being around drunk people is that uh, unfulfilled men, uh, when drunk, Favorite topics of, of conversation are when they almost threw down or when they did throw down yeah. 10 years ago. Ten years ago. <laughs> um, it's just a thing that happens, I guess, when people get drunk and they have a chip on their shoulder about something. But it, 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 this is a bit of like, it feels like a bit of fantasy because it's like, wow, this this went down very much in their favor. Oh, oh um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it all culminates with uh, the bartender allowing them to strap uh mr chekhov the bald russian gentleman uh to the to the bar and they set his his butt on fire (laughs) yeah um he's an idiot uh because you're strapping down an enforcer of some kind uh to the bar and setting him on fire an enforcer for the russian mob now trevor i'm sure you've heard of uh i'm sure you've heard of different kind of mobs yakuza um you know triads. mexican cartels triads uh have any of them been friendly 
Have you ever heard of them like letting <laughs> things go? Uh, <laughs> no. Um, they're they're very eye for an eye kind of folks. Um, it's, it's very primitive, but it, it gets shit done. <laughs> I feel like somebody told the head mob boss, and he just pulled a, a straight up pinhead. Just we have such sights to show you. <laughs> they're gonna go hellraiser on these guys. That yeah, bartender's no, dead. You just don't do that. And and what's more, you don't strap a man to a bar and set his butt on fire. No. Um, and if and, you're the you know the purveyor, like if you're the bartender. You, you, you need to object at some you point. You need to so, object Dude, like, to what if he, like, panics or, like, has a reaction and pees on the bar, like, shits himself? I have to clean this shit up, guys. God forbid he farts. He's going to set the place yeah. on fire. <laughs> that's I a mean, very large man that probably a, ate a lot of cabbage. Is he St. Patty's Day and he's Russian. Jesus. He's had, he's had three. <laughs> he's had three. <laughs> what is the damn sandwich? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> it's my favorite sandwich. I can't think of it right now. Oh, no. Reuben? Yeah, Reuben. He's had like three <laughs> Reuben sandwiches that day with sauerkraut on him. <laughs> he's gassy. He, he's a ticking time bomb. Yeah. You don't know what you've done. <laughs> but we, we cut away from this and we go to the McManus's uh, apartment the next morning and Ivan and his, his goon just bust in. He's got a 50 cal handgun, by the way. Yeah, this is um, the cannon. An Israeli yeah. cannon. <laughs> and they, they strap... I need to get the brothers down. Um... Uh, Sean Patrick Flannery is Connor. Uh, yeah, Sean Pla- Ch- Patrick Flannery is Connor, and then Murphy is Norman Reedus. We'll just we'll just call him Re- Norman Reedus and Sean Patrick. It's just easier. I've uh, I've been calling them the Saints uh, yeah. in my notes. Just, it's uh, just easier. <laughs> and like I said, they aren't really much of characters. Well, I mean, they you get the sense that Norman Reedus is maybe the supposed to be like more the younger brother type personality. It feels like uh, it. I mean, they're twins, but he he comes across as like oh, they're not twins, slightly they're twins. more immature. Whereas Sean Patrick Flannery seems more put together, I guess. But yeah, I always just called them the Saints in my notes. Um. So yeah, he he somehow tracked them down without killing everybody along the way to find them. Uh, tracks them down, figures out that they're brothers, and he he uh, puts Patrick Flannery to the toilet. He's like, I was going to kill you, but now I'm going to kill your brother. It sounds like yeah. he was just going to kill him for setting him on fire. Like he was going to let the other one go. He was, was going to be fine. He's like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to kill your brother. So he takes him downstairs and Sean Patrick Flannery is just screaming. He has an awful scream. And he's just, yeah, ah, he ah. it's actually, uh, you know, a decent moment, like from an acting standpoint, it's very visceral. Oh, there. I think that he's actually, like, he and, um, and uh, Willem Dafoe are actually doing the best. Like they're yeah, yeah. No, Sean Patrick Flannery shows up to play. Uh, his his accent's a little spotty at times, but you. Oh, Norman Reedus more, completely more breaks character. Stuff, at like one you point. said, his his scream is pretty good. Like when he's when it, he's called upon to have a like a visceral gut reaction to things, uh, he does it well. Like when they're carting his brother off and he's handcuffed to the toilet, uh, was, you believe that he's worried for his brother's life. It was getting annoying to me when I was rewatching. I'm like, oh my god, stop screaming! But I get well, it. He's gonna go shoot his brother. This whole movie has a lot of screaming in it. Like so many lines are yelled and shrieked, and it's very obnoxious at times. But I feel like maybe that's just Troy Duffy's, like what he's accustomed to. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe. Like that's how people talk in his world. <laughs> he's a he's a bouncer bartender. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, fun detail: the uh, the Desert Eagle that the. Uh, that Ivan has when he's uh, taking Norman Reedus away. Uh, it's it's like half nickel plated 
it has some gold on it i think it's got some some gunmetal black on it but it also has a hammer and sickle and and like a, oh. a communist like red star on it like etched into it um it's a little on the nose but it's a cute detail that showed that you know somebody somebody felt the need to put a personal stamp on something so while while ivan and his his goon are uh, escorting norman reedus out to the street um this weird techno music starts up yeah it's the we, 90s still uh yeah it feels like like a, a prodigy music video or something yep, yeah it it doesn't help that there's a guy in a bathrobe or two of them rather but um anyway um sean patrick flannery uh he lets out this primal scream uh he pulls up the toilet that he's been handcuffed to and uh again just like willem defoe uh, examining the crime scene no no words spoken it's all visual storytelling uh, we keep cutting back and forth between him carrying uh the toilet up to the roof and uh, the two Russians taking Norman Reedus down into the alley, and then uh, he drops the toilet onto Ivan and jumps off the roof onto the other guy. Yeah, how the fuck does he survive this? I guess the guy breaks his fall, but he doesn't even have pants on. I think he would, like, shatter his knees or something. Something, just, yeah, he... I mean, maybe a bruise he gets out yeah, of Yeah, like, you, I mean, he would probably tear his his knees open or something when he hits the ground but uh yeah uh how and does how does the second russian die uh norman I, reedus I dies via toilet but how does the second one go down um norman reedus beats the shit out of him with the toilet top he <laughs> he hits him in the back he just that's where the the serial crusher theory comes in it's because he just smashes him with the the top of the um toilet um they take he take uh, all the guns, dr- uh, guns, money. Um, I think the ID too. And um, he puts his brother up on his shoulders, and I guess runs him to the hospital. And that's when we get back to the interrogation room. Yeah. Um, um, also important to note, he takes one of the Russians' beepers because yes, the nineties. Um, and yeah, we're back in the interrogation room, and this is where uh, the detail you had mentioned earlier comes to light. Where uh, not only do they speak Gaelic, oh, also oh. Um, just prior to the fight in the bar, they speak Russian yeah. to Ivan. They speak uh, English, Gaelic, Italian, German, French, Spanish, and those are the ones that yeah we, we get to see. Yeah, those and, are the ones we're aware of. <laughs> and we're like, he even asks, he's like, uh, you guys, you guys speak language French too? And he's just like, what do you guys do? He's like, you guys speak all these languages? And he's like, yeah, our mother insisted on it. And like, watch that deleted scene. And her mom did not give a fuck what how many languages. Yeah, I don't they think spoke. so. <laughs> I'm not buying it. Um, but he's like, what are you guys working in a meat packing plant for? I'm like, well, they're illegal. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's why they're working in a meat packing plant. <laughs> um, I'm surprised uh, that I'm surprised their um, their citizen status never came up. They're just like, eh, no, it's it's fine. Well, maybe mom was American and dad was Irish. Um, well, uh, that's my guess, anyway. Um, it's funny that this this moment, like not the whole scene, just this moment where Willem Dafoe has that line, like, "What are you guys doing working at a, a freaking meatpacking plant?" Um, that, to me, that kind of like speaks to Troy Duffy's mentality as a whole. Like he thinks like, he's so much smarter than to be a bartender. I think I think so. Okay. I think that's where this comes from. It's like these two guys choose to work in a meatpacking plant. Just like, I choose <laughs> yeah. to be a bartender. Yeah. Um, 
I brought this up during the the overnight episode where I I, I feel like it he has that kind of mentality where he's like yeah like I'm I'm only where I'm at because I choose to be like, mm-hmm. I'm so much better than all these people. It's like no, you're you're keeping yourself there because you're a big fish in a little pond, <laughs> and it's it's a little scary to have it reversed on you. <laughs> Um, I'm actually looking up to see if he went to college. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really important question. I don't. It does not say. He was born in Hartford, Connecticut, and he was raised in Boston, then moved to California at some point. So Connecticut. Wow. Yeah. Right. He's not even a Boston. He's not even a Massachusetts native. He's from. He's from Hartford, Connecticut. I bet that's something he'd prefer people didn't know about him. I know it now. Um, so at this point, uh, interrogation's over. Uh, seems pretty fucking obvious that uh nothing's going to come of like they're not going to be punished for anything um i think this is when uh rocco uh shows up and s- sneaks into fucking jail yeah i don't know how he got past <laughs> how the everybody. fuck do you sneak into jail <laughs> you don't you don't <laughs> you don't you don't sneak into jail yeah he literally like brushes shoulders with willem defoe who's on the on the front steps of the precinct um uh, addressing like a a, a mob press conference, of, of, yeah, yeah, it's a press conference, and, and David Della Rocco just like sneaks past him into the into the precinct, into the jail, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he shows up just to bring them like their their super gaudy uh, cross talismans. And yeah, and they have a bro hug, and he's just like, "Okay, I'm gonna casually leave the jail now." <laughs> the, uh, the they ask if they can stay the night in the jail because they don't want to give they don't want to give a statement to the press or anything like that. Which I don't think the press would give a shit about this. Um, this isn't a murder like this isn't like a high profile murder case. This is just some Russian dudes got killed in an alley. They're not gonna give a shit. But anyway, I they, wouldn't think so. You know, I just finished watching the night of, and they do have press coverage of that, but that's because it's a really horrific crime. And this is because it was a, a horrific crime that happened to a young, attractive uh, white girl. They, they, people are going to care about that when it's, it's Russian. What? Huh? No, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, um, bottom of the totem pole, Russian mobsters. Uh, okay. So we cut to what I think has got to be one of the most problematic scenes in the film, um, where the McManus brothers um, are basically uh, telepathically told by God. Uh, with dripping of water on the forehead, kind of like a, how would you say, like a, like an exorcism kind of pose where you're like, your your body's being taken over by a spirit and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, like you, you're powerless against it. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about their sleeping attire. These two but- brothers are sleeping in a jail cell next to each other. They have on no shirts. They have their necklaces on. They have their jeans, belts, and boots on. <laughs> the, 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 I was talking to this with Steph. I'm like, the most comfortable item you can have on when sleeping is the t-shirt. And they're wearing belts <laughs> and boots and jeans yeah, no. sleeping. I, I mean, may, maybe if you you know went for like a 50-mile hike or something carrying a 100-pound backpack and you're just dead. But mm, Nope, you no. can still pop your boots off. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you still take a minute to kick those boots off. I mean, yeah, like jeans alone, Jesus. <laughs> jeans. I mean, I've slept in jeans. I take my belt off and I take my shoes and socks off. If I sleep in oh, yeah, boots, absolutely. 
If I, I've never slept in my shoes because if you sleep in your shoes, you've probably passed out from drinking, and I've never been so <laughs> drunk to where I didn't take off my shoes. <laughs> Jesus. I'm, I'm picturing a very drunk Kyle, like, like waking up in a stupor and just be like, I gotta take off my shoes. I, I don't want to be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I will not sleep with them. I won't be one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is where this is where it starts to get a little fuzzy. So they uh-huh. they seem to have been told by God at the same time that they have to go kill bad people. And they wake up in the morning kind of just look at each other they give each other a look like we have to do this even though we have no idea what they've been told um it's actually just that priest sermon from the beginning kind of resonating in their heads well there's a choice line here that jumps out it's uh, just it's it's not an exact quote i didn't quite get it but it's destroy all that is evil so that which is good may flourish yeah and they like they say this back and forth to each other um and what's more they they have like a mu- a mutual communication with god or whoever like they apparently both had the same vision or both received the same wisdom um and yeah they they wake up and they come into the fucking police station like rock stars dude they fucking love them oh yeah no all the cops are like i think they literally applaud when they come into the room they give them coffee and donuts everybody they a couple of high fives here and there. I mean, there's a lot of white guys in the room, so somebody's going to go for it, you know? We didn't even but, get a scene um, of them, like, hanging out with the cops and, like, cracking jokes. Maybe they were, like, maybe they're those kind of guys that have just a bunch of good jokes, and the co- they're just, like, killing the cops with laughter, and they're like, all right, you guys go to bed, and they wake up the next day, hey, they're back. No, they just slept in a cell. That's all we know. Yeah, and- I, I, again, I think this speaks to Troy Duffy as a person. Like, I think this is him projecting a little bit. Like This is, uh, how, he'd, this is how he'd like to be. I think he's seen a few Steven Seagal movies. And, uh, this is kind of how every Steven Seagal character is treated in the movie. Oh, yeah, no. When when Steven Seagal uh, cracks wise with the help, that's how, you know he's a man of the people. You know he is a man. Like, of hey, the cue ball! It's cue ball. Let's break dance with cue ball. <laughs> that scene in the kitchen and under siege. Oh yeah. Ah uh, man, <laughs> Steven Seagal's great. Um. But yeah, at some point during this scene, like one of the cops holds up a, a newspaper headline that I guess labels them as the saints and like makes mention of the, the killings that happened. So apparently public perception of them is very positive. Um, I'm kind of surprised that, like you had said, there's any public perception of them there's, at this point. Wouldn't be. Um, and what's also strange is that this comes right after they had a really strange night where they got a voice mutually speaking to both of them telling them to go out and kill people and they're both pretty you know upbeat like they're not rattled no. <laughs> like like they don't look like they just had the voice of god shoot through their body or something like they're they're fine well um yeah this is where sean patrick flannery while norman reedus is talking to the cops he goes over and he must have gotten a page on that russian's beeper and he writes down they're like the boss is coming in tonight he'll be at this hotel room at this time be there they're thinking that it's still the other russian guy and i guess they just decide that they're gonna go kill him like he he just randomly called back this number and now they're gonna go kill this guy yeah by the way this this conversation happens in the police station um on like a payphone or something that's in there like sean patrick flannery just like casually walks over to the wall calls the number that popped up on the beeper and and because he understands russian uh, gets all this information and then he's like hey bro let's let's go out and kill this guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay 
Yeah, so they go to... Um, <laughs> oh, hang on a sec. Sorry, we, I almost skipped it over. Um, now we get uh, Rocco uh, going in to see Yacoveta. Yep, Yacoveta. And this is where it really Tarantino's into full gear. Um, uh, he's first met, before he gets to Yacoveta, the crime boss, the Italian mafia crime boss. Uh, <laughs> we were met by Ron Jeremy. Uh, if uh, you're under the age of, eh, what, 22? You might not know who Ron Jeremy is. Uh, look him up on your parents' computer and uh, <laughs> go to videos, and that should uh, sum it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do it at school, uh, do it at public library. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the man The man is a, a legend. He has, yeah. He has a long-standing career, quite a bit of material out there for you to check out. Def- definitely make sure you either do it from your mom and dad's computer yeah. or at a public library. Public you know. library. Other people need to know about him, you know. At fact, work, they, definitely. They might, wanna, they, want, they might want to, you know, watch over your shoulder or something. Yeah, check it. Check it at work. Cause I mean, grab people. Yeah, that you work with, and like, hey, come check out. I'm looking up this guy on uh, on the computer. Um. Yeah, make sure <laughs> HR is in the room. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so he he meets him, and uh, Rocco has a package, and he, Ron Jeremy's like, "Give me the package." He's like, "He told me to give it to him myself." He's like, "Give me the fucking package. Go sit down." And he sits in there. And, uh, we meet this actor. What was his name again? The guy who plays Yacoveta. Yacoveta, uh, he is Carlo Rota. Carlo Rota. Um, and he's sitting at his desk, and he's uh, just got the fancy phone up to his head, and he's expressionless. He is just sitting there, not talking on the phone, not moving. He's just listening. And Ron Jeremy, uh, again, he gets his title. Um, what What is his position? Ron Jeremy's title? I, I don't remember his, but... Okay. Uh, Yacoveta gets a title also, and I think his full name is Giuseppe uh, Yacoveta. Nice. Um, and I think Ron, that Ron Jeremy is like his brother. Mm. He was like the underboss. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't really carry himself like an official. He does seem more like a cousin or a brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's just kind of antagonizing Rocco. He's like, oh, they call you the funny man. Why? Oh, he just just messing with them, and they look like they're about to get into it. And right then, Yakoveta jumps up, and uh, his voice, what he's yeah. saying on the phone is pretty funny. <laughs> you insignificant little fuck. <laughs> I love his, I like his voice, just to, like yeah. uh, uh, the octave of his voice is, uh, it's very nice. Um, yeah, you kind of hit, you kind of hit on the head, like he just has an entertaining way about him. Like, yeah. he doesn't, it's kind of effortless almost. Um, but yeah, he... You can tell he's got a little bit of a temper here. Now, Trevor, help me here. What yeah. purpose does this scene serve? Um, absolutely none. <laughs> yeah, there's no purpose um, to this scene the, other than we're introduced to ultimately the guy who's going to die at the end. But we, we're not given any really good reasons for why he should be killed. And you would think this would be a time when you would introduce that. But no, we're just introducing the guy that we're going to kill at the end. Yeah, um... This felt kind of like again Tarantino esque. Uh, it in is Tarantino esque. True romance, where it's like you have this long drawn out scene that ultimately doesn't contribute much, but you're just kind of relying on the the flowery nature of the dialogue and the performance of the actor to justify its existence. Uh, it's kind of uh, like Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken in True Romance, I guess. Except I, that was excellent. That was an excellent scene. 
everything yeah about that was it. excellent whereas this one excellent. just seems like an excuse to drop the n-word six times and tell a racist joke i honestly think it was just a way to shoehorn in a racist joke drop some hard r in bombs uh yeah. several times and six <laughs> six six times um I mean, geez, it's pretty dumb. Uh, he tells this stupid joke. You can get, you kind of get the sense that Rocco is kind of an idiot. Um, mm-hmm. I, more than anything, I guess you're just developing the character in this scene. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all that happens. And he makes Yakovetta laugh, and then we we cut to the brothers buying some guns. Yeah, I, the way I phrased this in my notes was the Saints go dot 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 somewhere. And gather up a bunch of guns. Uh, I don't know where they are, who they're dealing with, how they know this person. But yeah, they, they hand a bunch of money to some guy. And he tells them, go go nuts. You can you can go on your 20-second shopping spree in my gun room. He looks like he's... I mean, the guy's not even Irish. He's He looks like he would be Irish. He's got the, he's got the little hat. And uh, <laughs> he's just like, you boys knock yourselves out. I'm like, he's not even an Irish guy they're buying guns from. I'm like, is he just an American supplying IRA, IRA agents... With, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like you would think, you need to know certain people in order to get in touch with guys like this. But these are the two coolest Irish guys in the neighborhood, apparently. Uh, these, yeah, I mean, they're basically Troy Duffy split in two. I mean, he's so cool. Of course, he would know somebody that has a bunch of illegal weapons in a basement. Um, subconsciously, I think that Troy Duffy kind of gave us the motivation behind this movie because they're like, uh, he says Charlie Bronson uses it in uh, Death Wish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could definitely see Troy Duffy running through those Death Wish movies. Uh, Absolutely. Because this is a vigilante movie. This is, you know. Yeah. 100%. Um, but they're, they're going through, it says Rambo. Uh, he's de- so we've definitely covered what? Charlie Bronson, Rambo, uh, Pulp Fiction. Um, uh, luckily, I mean, The Departed refer- hadn't come out referential yet. Referential humor and stuff was again coming coming to prominence in the '90s. Um, and yeah, we have a direct reference to Charlie Bronson and literally the Rambo knife, which, yeah. as far as I remember, was like handcrafted for that movie and didn't become a thing until after it. Oh, really? Because it's not a practical, it's not a practical tool. It, it was definitely something that was fabricated but i don't like the dialogue in this scene they're just like uh he's just like oh uh get your stupid rope he's like i'll get the rope i'll get it here <laughs> i got the rope i mean that that speaks to either an incomplete script or a director who didn't know where to like where what to do direct we, his actors yeah <laughs> like what do they say it's supposed to be cute and antagonizing between brothers but it's i'm like it's not working it's not working <laughs> yeah i i characterize this as coffee talk while we're gun shopping Ugh. um and yeah it does come across as a little flat like it could have been more fun i guess if they had better rapport or maybe had a few few more clever jabs in there but like you said it's kind of empty okay so um, let's get into the motivation behind them going to kill the russian mob now i said that we're not ex- we're not given any reason why they're going to go kill these mobsters the only one that i can think of is that they're going to close down their bar they're literally going to go kill the russian mobsters that are trying to take away that irish dude's bar the, the bar but um, they never they never say that they never say you, you looked into it i think much more so than anyone else because i don't know that there is motivation here there is, they um, don't give uh, any they don't have any yeah. <laughs> they really don't they literally just found a they they took a beeper they called it they heard boss 
and they're like, we're going to go kill them. And they have no plan. They don't even, like, say they have a plan. Like, we don't get a plan. Why they're going to do it? Anything. We just get to the hotel, and they're putting on masks. And I think it, uh, I said, no discussion, just go killing. And then I think we cut to Willem Dafoe. Because uh, we, we, we haven't yeah, gotten we, to the crime. This this starts to reinforce a, a pattern that carries through throughout the entire film. Um, they actually do some clever things with it, but... um. Basically, any instance of violence in this movie, um, we don't see it up front. We cut away from it, and then we revisit it. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, nonlinear narrative. Um, so, yeah, uh, black shirts, black jackets, black sunglasses, and blue jeans? Um, that's their uniform. So, yeah, we, we show the McManus brothers. They're up in the vents, and they've got their ski masks on, and they don't know where the fuck they're going. Uh, and they start to get frustrated. They start to... T- get kind of mad at each other and they tussle and uh this mob boss is giving these other little bosses an earful like he is r- they're getting chewed out um and he they end up falling through the vent now trevor this will make more sense later but these two brothers are hanging from rope um and they manage to take out all these mob guys. They're hanging upside down, back to back, just spinning around, and they're able to take out all these guys. Um, two guys that, as far as we know, have never shot a gun because they just bought guns. I have no idea if they've ever been able to shoot a gun. They're shooting upside down. I'd say that most people who are excellent at shooting guns would have difficulty shooting upside down. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen it in a movie. He says that uh, Agent Smecker's like, you see this in bad movies, you see this in bad TV. They come through the ceiling. He's like, but something went wrong. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a movie where somebody shoots people upside down. Um, it sounds like something that Steven Seagal would do. Uh, I'll tell you where you've seen it. Um, and it's actually a reverse ripoff. So the movie I'm about to name ripped off this scene. Uh, Punisher Warzone. Oh, um, you're absolutely right. Um, very clearly, if you ask me, it seems like a very clear nod to the Boondock Saints. Um, and then I think the only other instance that comes to mind is maybe Quantum of Solace, but that was not quite upside down because James Bond was a. Uh, I think he was hanging from a rope, and then he like slung himself up and fired up into the ceiling. We we get to them. They've already killed everybody, and they've got the um, the Russian guy on the floor who is looking over at somebody and talking like he's like. Like, look over there, check it out. Or he's like, hey, come fucking help me. It's not really clear. But they're saying their little prayer, and they've got their got him on his knees, and they've got their hands, uh, they got their guns to the back of his head, and they're, they just shoot him, and it goes black, and then we fade in, and we slow motion black and white, go around to all these dudes, and um, cross their arms, and put little pennies on their heads. I'm, I'm going to say that since that practice was actually being used um, because of inflation, I don't think a penny is going to pay the ferryman um, to get you across the river <laughs> sticks. So they need to be putting... Also, I mean, if you're trying to be stealthy, you probably don't want to be running around with pennies full of pockets. And that shit's heavy, too. It's to... Yeah, it's it. Pennies are heavy. Like you could. How did they not fall out of their pockets when they were hanging yeah, upside that down? That would actually have been a funny detail if when they're hanging upside down, like <laughs> they just, just like spills out on he the must, floor. They must have had a roll of pennies, uh, but uh, all shiny. Well, that's that's a, a major thing about the way violence is portrayed in this film. Um, it's meant to look cool. Yes, as, as 
as stupid as it was to to have them like fighting with each other and fall through the roof it's a bit of a mixed message because what happens and the aftermath of it uh, is given to us the viewer in such a fashion that uh, like we're meant to think oh my god that was the coolest thing ever like i want to do that with my bros but like i think i think they tried to have it both ways where it's like we have this goofy amateurish moment and then uh, when the moment comes for them to kill people it's like oh man they're steven seagal awesome but i think a different way to go about it would be to have them absolutely suck at what they're doing and have them like spill all their shit out on the floor or something (laughs) these guys are fucking criminals okay like they are absolutely (laughs) like this isn't charles bronson and death wish like he was about looking for he was looking to antagonize like he was looking for a fight these guys just go in for no reason and shoot these guys one dude's still alive and the brother goes over and like like holds him down and shoots him like that's fucking yeah he he covers his eyes and shoots him that is fucking that is cold-blooded um yeah, so they they kill all these guys, and they've got silencers on their on their pistols. But um, there's a knock at the door. Uh, they they notice that there's a big thing of money. Now this is where I I had an issue. Also, it was like they're vigilantes. They're out there to stop bad people from doing bad things. But they're gonna swipe the money that they have in the hotel room. Not really that cool, guys. Yeah, kind of counterproductive. Yeah, that, that's. It's not exactly Robin Hood shit there. No. Uh, if anything, they um, should burn the money or just leave the money. Um, but <laughs> who who's at the door? Who's knocking on the door? Uh, that would be Mr. David Della Rocco. Uh, Jafar, as his name tag. <laughs> now, he's kind of, I don't know what it is about him in this outfit and him standing there, but it's funny. Just him standing there at the door is funny. So um, I guess he had been ordered to go in and kill these guys uh yakaveta mm-hmm. had told him to go in and kill these guys well they <laughs> they're like let's mess with them okay so they open up the door they put their ski mask back on they open up the door and they just pull him in and throw him they body slam him onto the ground and they just start yelling at him and he's like yeah yo it's fine yakaveta told me in here to sit me in here to kill him and everything and he holds up the gun he's like it's a fucking six shooter. <laughs> it's kind of a funny, it's a funny response to it. Uh, so his, his boss was basically going to send him into a room full of heavily armed men with a six shooter mm-hmm. to kill what was it? Nine guys? Yeah, nine guys. Nine guys. Yeah. So even even if he hit every one of them, he'd still have to reload and would would definitely be killed if he <laughs> had more bullets. If he had more bullets, which I don't, I don't think, think he did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're playing a prank on him basically this is where that dark sense of humor comes in like we were, you were yeah. saying with the mom and uh they act like they're gonna kill him and they start laughing and mm-hmm. Rocco's like oh man i can't believe you guys did this and yeah yeah i have a feeling that troy duffy really likes this guy or his friends with him in real life or something because his screen time and his importance to the story feels just bizarre to me I actually I feel like this character should have been like a one note thing, but he is in it throughout the rest of this movie. Yeah, I, I read that he was, I guess he was friends with Troy Duffy, and that's how he got. Uh, he, he Yeah, he, I, I didn't read that, but I figured. Um, apparently, it had to have been. Apparently, that's how he <laughs> it got. had to be that. Apparently, that's how he got Clifton Collins Jr. in uh, Boondock Saints 2, was that he was friends with him oh, and no. wrote a part for him. Yeah, right? Oh, no. I like Clifton Collins. <sighs> You're not going to like him in this next movie. Um, oh, man. But 
so they get back to, I believe they go back to um, the apartment. Now, does Willem Dafoe talk to the detectives after this, or do we just get back to the yeah? To so these these next couple of scenes back to back really made me think of Overnight, um, because what we get is we get Smecker drinking some booze with the detectives, and he's postulating on uh, the possibility of this being like a, a international mob war. Yes. It's like, okay, we have a bunch of Russian gangsters getting killed in Boston. What are they doing here and why are they getting killed and by who? Um, and the whole time he's doing this, he's smoking and the detectives are just kind of like passive and listening. Uh, cut immediately to uh, the Saints, uh, the two brothers, the McManuses, uh, talking to Rocco in his apartment. And they're speechifying to him about like their, I guess, their personal concept of uh, righteous killing, I guess. Yeah. Something like that. But they're, you know, talking like, like religious zealots or something where it's like, yeah, we're doing this for the greater good. Like this has to happen. And he's in agreement. But just the atmosphere. Oh, yeah. And they're smoking. Um, yeah. <laughs> just the atmosphere of both of these scenes and the way they're speechifying at a mostly passive crowd really reminded me of those scenes in Overnight of Troy Duffy talking to his band. Yeah. And, like, giving them, like, rally the troops kind of speeches and them just looking dead behind the eyes and not saying anything. Yeah, he wanted and them all to be it Rocco. Got, it, got me to, it got me to notice that um, Troy Duffy doesn't write dialogue. No. He does not write dialogue. He writes speeches. Yeah. V- virtually every instance of a character speaking in this film is not an exchange. It's one person expressing a thought and someone receiving it. Yeah. I think you're right. Like, there's no discussion. Like, it, it's just something that that I noticed, where it's like, in almost every exchange, there is no exchange. It's just one character kind of like taking command and and saying their their piece. Whereas, like in like a Tarantino movie or something, his his biggest strength is his conversational dialogue, where it's both interesting and integral to the plot, and oftentimes it involves multiple personalities bouncing off of each other and creating really interesting, palpable tension. Yeah, like, like, I'm thinking of the Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken. Like, well, it's mostly it's Dennis Hopper's scene. Like, he's doing most of the talking, and but mm-hmm. it's still Christopher Walken is so much a part of that that dialogue. But yeah, <laughs> it's. Yeah, it's pretty good. And I'm thinking, like, um, Christoph Waltz in the beginning of Inglorious Bastards, too. Like, it's mostly his scene, but there's still an interaction between the characters. Here, it's mm-hmm. they just say stuff, and Rocco's like, you guys are fucking geniuses. You guys should be in every major city. This is awesome. Um, but, yeah, this is where I got the, the idea. I'm like, this, this whole scene, I'm like, it's really just three losers that are going to start killing people who are more successful than them. But, I mean, yeah, they're evil, but... That's the problem. They're like, these guys are making so much money, doing bad shit. Like, they're just really bad people. We're going to go fucking kill them. And yeah, like I said, it's a very immature outlook where it's like yeah. you're not you're not thinking about you're not thinking this through. <laughs> you're looking at it from like a very a primitive state of mind where it's like, yeah, I'm right, they're wrong, they're bad, I'm good. And and so like in a in a better film, uh this kind of exchange would have like a a really creepy, like oppressive atmosphere to it, because like this is what mental illness looks yeah. like. Yeah, <laughs> <It's like, laughs> no, this, these are our heroes. Uh, it's like this is this is what sociopaths are like. Um, 
but yeah, now now the boys just start getting shitty. Uh, they yeah, they start. And, and that was actually kind of funny. Yeah, uh, they go from being on their high horse to immediately after getting drunk in an, in an apartment. They're not moving. They are sitting down, just getting shitty. Uh, and there's just like it's it's funny here, but finally they're they're pretty hammered. They they're hitting the pizza pretty hard. Uh, I can tell you can tell how drunk somebody is by how they're eating. Like Redis has yeah. got his pizza folded up, and it's it's he's not so much eating it as it just making it disappear. Um, and they're talking, <laughs> and Rocco's just starts he starts talking like, oh, "I'm sick of all this shit. I'm gonna fucking help you guys." And he ends up smacking the the table where there's a loaded gun. Um, on the other end of that gun, there is uh, his girlfriend's cat that's been roaming around. Well. The gun just so happens to go off, and it splatters the cat all over the wall, and they <laughs> they stumble all over the place, freaked out. Um, and this is where uh, Norman Reedus breaks character, and he's like, "I can't believe that just fucking happened." I'm like, "There's no accent in that, buddy." Yeah, none. Well, I noticed him in particular. Um, a lot of his dialogue is ADR'd because if you didn't notice, he kind of mumbles. Yeah, <laughs> uh, in every role ever. Um, but yeah, that I did notice that. Um, actually, that was a decent like exclamation point or like punctuation to uh, to that that progression. How we go from like being all high and mighty and talking about our grand aspirations to getting drunk uh, to an exploding cat <laughs> to you know give give everyone a reality check. I guess um, somewhat clever, actually. Um, but at this point, I think they mention. Uh, Donna, who is uh, Rocco's um, girlfriend, and this is the the morning after. Yeah, and it needs to be said she's probably like what the second female that's even been mentioned in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he he quickly hand waves her away and says like, "Oh, she's on every drug ever," and like you can tell he's not terribly attached to her. And Norman Reedus mentions, or no, Sean Patrick Flannery mentions, that, oh, she's probably going to be a set that her cat exploded. He's like, nah, she's on everything. <laughs> and then, and then we like segue into this weird conversation where, I guess Rocco intends to go and report back to Yakaveta, and they don't want him to because they think he's going to get killed. Yeah, they. And then they get into a big stupid argument for reasons I don't quite understand. <laughs> Yeah, apparently these boy these brothers have had a conversation about how stupid he is and that he was going to get killed and then they yeah, the Rocco's like that's not how things are handled. They didn't send me up there to die. I'm like, "You fucking idiot." Like, you're no Don Corleone. So, he has seen The Godfather. Uh, he's definitely seen The Godfather 2, which we'll learn next week. Um uh he uh yeah, he he storms off. He's like, "No, no, no, it's bullshit. I'm not going to that's not how it goes, and uh, he ends up. the The boys go back upstairs, and um, his girlfriend comes home while they're there uh, with another lady. They look loaded, like it's early in the morning. They look like they've been doing some heroin, and they <laughs> they don't even ask like why they're sitting in there. They just go to the couch and kind of pass out. And uh, he gives them a call. Uh, Rocco gives the boys a call, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm fine." And then he just says, "I'll catch you on the flip side." And then he's at a payphone, and then we just cut to uh, what? So let me stop you for a sec, Kyle. Yeah. Um, the drunk girls do, in fact, show up. Um, 
they they don't so much go to the couch as appear on it. Oh, okay. Be- because the editing in the scene is super fractured and fucked up. Where it's just like they stumble through the door. They barely pay any notice to the McManus brothers. They teleport to the couch. They get a phone call. Uh, I'll catch you up on the flip side. Uh, fa- like quick fade to black. Quick. Very quick. Rocco busts through the door like a fucking tornado. This is all within like 10 seconds. Like, whoa, what's happening, guys? Um, and then, yeah, Rocco, uh, like I said, he comes in like a tornado. Um, he's like tearing up the apartment. He's screaming about like, oh, they're coming for me or something. Uh, it looks like he, <laughs> looks like he's like putting an, an iron and maybe half a coffee pot into a bag. Yeah. He's, like, rooting th- <laughs> he's like rooting through all the cabinets and just grabbing what I guess is valuable to him. And the atmosphere is really bizarre because you can tell that he's afraid, but everyone else is just kind of like laughing and confused. Yeah. The- and yeah, this is when he has his, uh, he exchanges some choice words with I, Rianne. I guess this would be Donna. And yeah, there's two ladies. Uh, Donna's his, Ra- his girlfriend. Rianne or Ray- Ramey? Ramey, I think, or something like that. I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. But yeah, he has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's. <laughs> He's on edge because of some something that we'll we'll learn about. Uh, he he has a funny Ravy. There it is, uh, Ravy. Ravy. Um, <laughs> we uh, she basically's like, "Where's my cat?" And he's like, "I killed your cat." And then he says something I'm not going to repeat here. You can watch the movie, um, but it's not nice what he says to her. And he holds a gun up to her head, and she's crying. So now we're terrorizing women. Um, in this movie, <laughs> so assault, um, and then but what, what is it when you hold a gun to somebody's head? Like, is <laughs> I don't know, what you'd call that like it's maybe attempted murder, although I don't know if you have to have some sort of like proven intent for that to count. But, Intimidation, uh, he, yeah, he, I mean, I don't know what you'd call that, but he does hold the gun to himself and says, I'm gonna kill myself, and uh, his. Basically, he's bargaining with her. Like, if she can name her cat, yeah. like, if she can remember the cat's name and what color it is, he won't kill himself. Um, she manages to get it right, thankfully. Uh, no one is hurt, but yeah, this is this is a pretty savage verbal assault, and he does brandish a weapon in, in her face. Um, and then I guess we cut back to um, the scene immediately after he was on the phone with uh, the McManuses telling them he'd catch them up on the flip side. Um, so he walks to like a diner and I wasn't entirely sure who these guys were. Um, it's, it's two low level mobsters of some sort and uh, they're in a restaurant and he walks in look like attempting to look all badass. He's kind of a goofy looking guy, so it doesn't really work, but, um, and, Again, I'm not entirely sure who these guys were. I got the vibe that maybe they were someone important's son or something. Um, but basically, they're making light of the fact that he survived what he, a situation he probably should have been killed in. And they're like, oh, we're glad you're alive. Ha 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 ha. And then uh, he kills both of them. Um, the first shot is actually pretty artful. Um, he's apparently seen a John Woo movie. Um, Rocco like, pulls up his jacket and uh shoots the one guy through the temple uh, through his coat 
and then he just kind of shoots the other guy and on his way out he shoots the, the like the bartender as well but yeah so we this is where we get the death of ron jeremy <laughs> the death of ron jeremy um so yeah like just like before um, we see the prologue to the violence we cut away from it and then we cut to smecker doing his investigation on the scene after the after the fact um this time though um and this is this is why i mentioned before there is a progression uh this time we're cutting back and forth between smecker and the and the saints doing their thing mm-hmm. uh it's a you know good editing shorthand telling you that oh my god smecker's getting closer um and so it's funny actually i noted in my notes here that uh i'm curious if ron jeremy did his own stunt here because he's shot from above you never see his face but um basically they're in the middle of this strip club and it has these uh like it's like what two two way mirror or one way mirror situation yeah one way where pe- people are you know pleasuring themselves and uh have a, a barrier between them and the performer uh so they're shooting people through these these mirrors basically and uh they cap ron jeremy multiple times uh some some poor soul i'm not again i'm not sure if it actually was ron jeremy but he gets strapped up with probably a half dozen squibs a decently glorious death um and we get a really uncomfortable scene where uh rocco feels up a a stripper that passed out on the floor yep it's a little it's a little uncomfortable yeah Uh, and it's totally played for laughs yeah we sincere sincere laughs He's like, oh, I'll tip her. It's like a joke, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's totally a joke. So we've had punched a lady, um, threatened a woman with a gun, sexual assault. Uh, <laughs> we're not done yet, we're folks. We're not done <laughs> yet, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get a really awkward scene that, again, this is uh, in a different, in a different, maybe better film. This would have been portrayed differently, but. Uh, Rocco oh, sorry. steps I'm, up. Does he knock out that? the stripper too? She passes out. Oh, she passes out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Smecker mentions that she probably passed out or okay. something. Okay. No, she she her witness testimony is that she passed out after the first killing. Okay. So the other two killings though uh, are just two random guys that aren't really affiliated with Ron Jeremy. Um, but Rocco knows who they are apparently, um, and he insists on being allowed to kill these two guys and so he does and the way he goes about doing this is he stands in the center of the room and does the chow yun fat thing where you hold one pistol in each hand and shoot in opposite directions and uh, at one point he even like crosses his arms and shoots like under his armpits like in opposite directions and says fucking Wyatt Earp and everything about the the editing and like the music and the tone of the scene kind of suggests that like murder is crazy fucking fun guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) and again like when you actually take a step back and think about these characters and what they're doing it's like oh my god these are awful human beings this is getting personal because now yeah like by like we're supposed to think that wow Rocco's going to help them out a lot they're really going to cut this down no now we're getting personal we're getting people that Rocco personally doesn't like well, now he's like using them as an instrument to yeah. just murder people. Yeah, that's exactly what's <laughs> to happening. To get rid of people he doesn't like. Again, a very childish mentality, but it's being glorified instead of like shown as like a, a monstrous act. 
Yeah. And even even the way they agree to, to going out and doing what he asks of them, like they're literally parked in a car and he's in the back seat saying, Hey, I know a guy, we should kill him and they're like, You got me convinced, yep. let's do it, Rocco. <laughs> it's Good like I thought you guys were supposed to be smart. What the fuck? So next we uh I think Yakaveta goes to see a guy who works and a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think his uh, this is another character that got an on-screen uh, title card. Um, his name is Augustus De Stefano, and it, I think it says like former mob boss. He was a former uh, like uh, council yeti. He was like a former under underboss, basically. Yeah, and now he he's uh, what a bathroom valet or something. Yeah, he's blind as well. Um, I didn't pick up on that. You didn't pick up on that? Yeah. No, Cause I he, didn't. He walks in and he's just he just stands there for a second. He goes, "Fuck you!" And he's got a, he's got, a, he's, got the, he's got the walking stick too. Like and he's throwing the the urinal cakes over and he's landing them perfectly into the urinal. Yeah, because, I, I like that little detail, but I didn't realize that he was blind. Also, that's cool. Yeah, um, I mean, he's but, a pretty fun character. So yeah, Yakaveta is convinced that Rocco is the one doing all this. He's like, Rocco is just running through our guys now. He's mad. He killed all those Russians somehow. Uh, he killed my two boys at the store. He built. He killed Ron Jeremy, and like this guy is a fucking maniac. He is the and he knows so much that he can bring us all down. And mm-hmm. um, the guy's like, I need El Duce, um, which I don't even know what El Duce means, by the way. Uh, the Duke. There you go. Um, yeah, this, so this just apparently. Means the Duke. It's like he like apparently he was El Duce was a uh, a guy that the mob had hired to kill um, other bad guys and uh, he had one rule no women no children but he'd kill any dude didn't matter and I don't think he charged that much he just did it for the pleasure of killing bad people well apparently the Italian mafia control the parole board uh, because El Duce <laughs> has been in prison for the past twenty three years and they put a they bring him down to the parole board. It's uh, Billy Connolly, but he's just walking with his uh, at parade rest, not parade rest, but like uh, at ease, uh, basically. And he's got his head down, and they bring him. Okay, if you're going in front of the parole board and you have to be in a Hannibal Lecter birdcage kind of situation, <laughs> I don't think your odds <laughs> of getting out of out of prison are very good. Yeah, um, <laughs> just saying. But uh, we. We don't really see what happens. We just know that he was going in front of the parole board. Mm-hmm. Um, we we do see a, a stamp on a oh on there a is paper a stamp saying it, okay. it says like par- parole approved, but uh, decent decent editing here because it's actually straight out of a Steven Seagal movie. Yeah, um, it's just somebody narrating about how awesome a, this Steven character Seagal is, is. <laughs> and then montage of him you know doing stuff. Uh, it's it is directly from a Steven Seagal movie. In fact. Um, on Deadly Ground, uh, Arlie Ermey, I'm convinced, is in that movie expressly for the purpose of improvising a super awesome speech about Steven Seagal uh, to be to be edited over footage of Steven Seagal killing people. <laughs> because you can't tell me that was in the script. That was all just Arlie Ermey being being himself and being told, like, hey, Arlie, like, make sure to talk me up. Like, like I'm a man who who gets swiped by a bear and I fall into a river and I fall asleep when I get hit with a feather in the uh, face. <laughs> I'm sure he, he tells his Bulgarian prostitutes that he killed a bear once with his bare hands. 
Oh, yeah, he he tackled a bear. He killed it with his bare hands. But he he leaves out the part where he got touched with a feather and passed out. I fucked a tiger <laughs> in the ass while I choked out an ocelot that I caught while fucking the tiger. Said, yeah, I made a bow and arrow out of an ocelot that I dipped in some leather. And then, <laughs> and then I grabbed a bald eagle and I used it as an arrow. I had a sex dungeon. I did not have a sex dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, kids, Steven Seagal is a piece of shit. Yeah. Steven Seagal, not a good person. Not a good person. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so we cut to uh, Smacker, uh, I believe. Yeah. No, um, we, we cut to the Saints, and Rocco is again uh, just pointing the finger at whoever the fuck he feels like right now, and they seem to just blindly go with it. Um, he tells them a brief story about a, a hitman that he had to drive around town to go on a hit. Uh, he describes it as the worst day of his life. Uh, we get a, a quick little montage of the hitman going about his business and like murdering a family uh, and Rocco paying witness to all of this. And obviously he's not too happy about it. And he says, yeah, I want you guys to kill this guy. And McManus is obliged. Uh, fade to black, cut to Smecker at the crime scene. And uh, this is the culmination of the, the progression and the editing of these, these crime scene investigations where this time... Uh, Smecker is actually inserted into the reenactment scene. This is the best. Ac- this is the best sequence in the movie. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say so for I sure. It, I think um, it's excellent. Uh, I forgot about it actually. I didn't even notice the the progression until you mentioned it. I'm like, there is a progression. It's really drawn is. out yeah. in the very first one. Gets a little closer as we move along, and then uh, yeah, in this one he's directly in the scenes. Yeah, um, and he's narrating what's happening while we see it happen, and he's just present. He's like on set. And we get to see him, and he's just a like a ghost for the proceedings. Now, this is an interesting uh, piece because this is uh, one of the few scenes we see from uh, Overnight, the documentary, and this is where mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Troy Duffy is giving um, Willem Dafoe direction. He's like, "So you're gonna come down here, do this and this and this," and Willem Dafoe's like, "Okay." And then what do I do after that? And he's like, "Then I yell cut, and the scene's over." Uh, <laughs> and Defoe's just like, oh, okay. And uh, I was watching it, and at one point during the sequence where he has his meltdown, he's like, fuck, who, where are these guys? I'm like, I think he might just be channeling his frustration with working with Troy Duffy. Cause uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty intense. It uh, feels pretty genuine, yeah. Um, so, yes, this is where I wanted to put a pin in last week when we talked about... Yeah, uh, I, I caught I caught what you had mentioned. Caught before. it this time. So, yeah. I caught it. This movie was released in 99, filmed in 98. And uh, before that, Marky Mark had been in a little movie called Boogie Nights where at the very end um, he pulls out his flaccid, uh, super long penis and uh, the movie ends. That's the ending of the movie, actually. <laughs> and um, here we go. We go, start going through the sequence again. This is really cool. He's he's reconstructing the crime scene, and as the crime scene is going along, Defoe is actually in frame with the characters. Um, mm-hmm. They stun gun a woman again. More violence against women. Uh, <laughs> you could have just duct taped her. You could have just left her duct tape somewhere. Nope, we got a stun yeah, gunner. If you, if you put away that checklist of yours, uh, <laughs> you should have known better. <laughs> if you're playing I Hate Women Bingo, <laughs> you're about to get your fifth That square. just might be a bingo. <laughs> that might be a bingo. Um, so, yeah, uh, going through this sequence, and this is where, like we said, this is gets personal. This is a super personal hit. Um 
the guy, these uh, Rocco says he has a, a card game with wise guys on what Tuesday morning? Is that what this mm-hmm. is supposed to be? Yeah, uh, it's in a suburban neighborhood too. Suburban neighborhood daytime card game. Um, I guess that's a thing. And he goes in and they open up the door and all these guys are just standing around and it's a it's a nice little shootout. Uh, Willem Dafoe is mirroring, uh, like paralleling whatever's happening with the gunman at the time, which is fun. Um, and they realize that the guy's in there. They're like, where the fuck is he at? And uh, the dude, while this is happening, bullets are flying through. He's taking a shit. And bullets are flying through the, uh, the bathroom. And he stands to pull his pants up. I don't think he wiped. Uh, just a side note. You'd think he would wipe, but we get a nice uh, sidecock shot in this movie. For some reason. Not only that do we get a sidecock shot, we get... Um, a trousers bulge after he puts the pants on. Yeah. I don't know why that's there. I Other than just watching Boogie Nights, I can't see I, any other reason it, why. It's a it's a curious element in a, in a film that, you know, is violent, is profane, but never to an extreme. And it's just such a rarity in any any film hollywood or otherwise it's just a strange thing that's just yeah. there <laughs> uh yeah i mean we can't I mean, say i'm th- guessing that guy got paid extra for that <laughs> i hope i, I want to put a you know a pin in this for the next episode which we'll get to the boondock saints too um this was a, a, an interesting like troy duffy has made uh he's done a pretty decent job of writing a gay character arguably you could definitely mm-hmm. argue against it, but I'd say <laughs> that he does a pretty decent job. And then you throw this, um, you know, sidecock and bulge in here, and then we do a complete 180 into that second movie. Um, it's it's kind of weird, uh, but we'll get to that next week. But I wanted to yeah. I wanted to highlight that in this just so we can bring it up for the next movie. It is important because it is something that it's just like I I don't know why that's there. Don't know why it's it there. Is. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely seen dicks more in comedies, which is it's always fun. Like it's, it was actually in in uh, it was a comedic piece in the night of, which isn't a funny show. It's about a murder trial, but there's a sequence in there where um, a guy is uh, working on a dead body, and the a lady lays down some files right by the guy's dick, and as he's looking at the files, the guy's dick is in frame with the files. And we looked down at it like three times. I'm like, okay. That's kind of funny. I don't know why it's in this show, but okay. It's a very uh, very different spin on an airplane gag where it's, like, it's visual gags. Did you spot the dick? Did you see Did the you? dick? Well, let's show it to you again just in case you missed it. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but... Specker's recreating the scene, and uh, they get through. Uh, Rocco beats this guy to death with a uh, pool cue. Uh, it's like a billiard ball, I think. Yeah. Or a pool the, cue. But, the, um, yeah, pool cue. Very, very bro-y dialogue happening here. That Again, these these characters are, are monsters. Yeah. Because what's happening here is they've shot everyone else in the room, except for one guy who gets shot twice, who I recognized from overnight as being one of Troy Duffy's friends. Apparently, Troy Duffy's friends are hard to kill. Yeah. Um, so when this guy comes out of the bathroom, he, he has pants on, by the way. Um, Rocco shoots him in the gut, but the guy's not done yet. So he uh, he and Rocco get into a tussle, and both the brothers are in a, a good position to help him out. But they start shouting at him, earn your stripes, Rock? Yeah. 
I was like, that is some bro bullshit. <laughs> like, like, earn your stripes. He's he has a man that's trying to kill him. Like, so I guess he I guess it's his job to kill this guy. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, they're making it personal now. Like, not only are we gonna kill this guy, but you have to kill this guy. Yeah, you have to do it. Um, I mean, it's funny. Like, I I don't remember Easy Rider all the way through. Have you seen it, by the way? No, I haven't seen it. Okay, well, um. Jack Nicholson's character in Easy Rider uh, kind of reminded me of Rocco a bit, or uh, yeah, Rocco reminded me of him. <laughs> Basically, it's like there's two super cool guys, and then they have like a hanger on, like a guy who sees their coolness and wants to touch it in some way, even though it's probably not appropriate. Um, kind of got that vibe, although I don't know this Rocco guy don't like him i was i was really upset and about how much of the movie he's in because he plays such a central role in the proceedings from like the halfway point onward yeah but yeah um this is where we get the iconic line for the movie the, there was a fire fight yeah so they he he's speculating that they came out the front door and they weren't expecting to see six guys fully armed but it's actually el duce smoking a cigar with sunglasses and there's a so back to them hanging upside down. They yeah. they bust into this hotel room and shoot nine guys hanging upside down. They can't shoot a fucking six foot Irishman twenty feet away with three yeah. guns. Yeah, wearing wearing a, a very heavy leather duster. Um, I he I think he does like a pirouette at some point, but he is not that graceful. <laughs> no, uh, like, the blocking of the scene. Um, I think speaks to the budget maybe because uh, there, <laughs> there's one thing about this movie it's, it's that um, choir like religious oh, choir know. music is not fair because yeah. it projects meaning onto that which has none correct um, it, it's a it's a very cheek it's a very cheeky like parlor trick um, and yeah they do that all throughout this movie where they, they put choir music over all these scenes of just stuff happening and it makes it tricks your brain into thinking that it all means something that carries weight when in actuality it really doesn't and the shootout the blocking of it they're stationary the entire time yeah they do not move there's no choreography they just stand on the porch and fire straight ahead they both Billy Connolly at least gets to like strafe five feet to the to the right or whatever there's no covering fire. Nobody like gets cover. They're standing in front of the door shooting a guy in the street, and the guy in the street is just standing in the street shooting at three guys in front of a door. Like there's yeah, and because it's all in slow motion, it takes a couple of minutes to happen. When I don't even think anyone reloads. Like 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 in in real time, this would have taken five seconds, if that. Yeah, this is all of them are dead. <laughs> like yeah, everybody would be dead. The guy like at least. Two of the three saints would be dead, and the guy in the street is dead. But yeah, in- um, instead, what happens is everybody takes, I think, one bullet apiece. Yeah, um, Rocco loses his pinky finger. Uh, both the brothers take a bullet. Uh, Billy Connolly takes one in the shoulder. Um, funny, funny detail here is that uh, Greenlee actually, I think, throws out there like. Maybe it was one guy. Uh, with maybe six it was guns. just one guy with six guns, and and Willem Dafoe is very is completely dismissive of him. But it's like in this instance, he's he's right. Yeah. And in fact, I think in the scene before at the strip club, uh, he does mention like, oh, what if there is no connection? What if there are just a handful of bad people that that 
these people felt it was necessary to kill and he was correct but again he was dismissed so it's another another fun stab at that running gag but um most important detail that comes out of this is that uh, Willem Dafoe flips the fuck out because yeah. he's he's not able to piece together the the why and the who of all of this um, and he, this, this is what you talked about him like channeling his his anger towards Troy Troy Duffy and his performance. Uh, he throws a tirade and he goes stomping through the like the bushes, and uh, he falls down at one point and he finds uh, Rocco's finger yeah. and he pockets it. Yeah, like um, Steph even asks, he's like, "Why wouldn't he put that in an evidence bag?" And I, <laughs> I was actually, I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> why wouldn't he? I don't either because the character math doesn't quite add up because <laughs> there's a few holes in the script well, one question uh, i have is how are these even related like they assume that they're related but i don't see how any of these are related um again it's a little muddled because we uh, we didn't mention it but uh smecker and his gang of detectives they they go to the crime scene where rocco shot the three people and smecker has a, a mini meltdown there and uh, i think he says like fuck i hate cold cold like crime scenes and it's because it doesn't make sense which is why he's irritated because he's very he's obviously very very good at his job but the math doesn't add up in any way that makes sense to him um but yeah i don't understand why he would assume that these cases are all, are all related other than the timing i guess um things really start to pick up here and uh we get the finger in the pocket and uh, we get the the boys. This is where your choir comes back in. The slow uh-huh. motion cauterizing of the wounds. Um, uh-huh. You could have used some like you could have done it in real time and done like some heavier like like scarier music and make it seem like this is like harsh stuff, not like oh, it's so poetic the way that well, they're. What's funny is um, this was another scene that was in overnight where um, the scene in particular when Rocco runs into the kitchen and they're all wounded and they're all getting prepared to like address their wounds um we actually got to see a couple of seconds of them actually filming that and it seemed like a lot more happened on the set that was cut out um very uh very badly too (laughs) because like it's just like another one of those like fade to blacks and then yeah it's just a, a montage of the three of them applying a hot iron to their their bullet wounds with choir music playing over it to make it seem like it's some sort of righteous suffering of some sort um really it's just three bros in a kitchen burning each other (laughs) yeah um i think smecker now he's ran the fingerprint on rocco and Mm -hmm. he's figured out he's like rocco he's like oh it's that fucking guy that was at the press conference he's with those two irish dudes and Smecker kind of figures it out that it, it's these guys that are going around killing people and they're deliberately going around and killing bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he ends up, I think this is where he's at the uh, he's at the bar. Yeah. And uh, he has some choice words for a bartender. He's getting hammered. Um, I guess he's kind of wrestling with the idea of possibly helping these guys. Um, but he stumbles out of the bar and. Uh, he ends up going to a church and i think rocco notices him yeah um the the brothers are going to like attend service or something yeah rocco hangs out and he notices smecker and he pursues him on foot uh 
into the church, <laughs> curiously enough, or like maybe there's a church across the street. Um, but they end up in a confessional together, and we get a interesting scene. I don't know if it's good, but it's interesting. It's kind of funny. Be- just because of the way it's arranged. Yeah. Because what, what we have here is we have Smecker passed out in a confessional, uh, a priest uh, being held up at gunpoint by Rocco uh, in the priest booth, and then in the confessional on the opposite side, uh, I believe it's Sean Patrick Flannery grabs Rocco from behind, pulls him through the confessional, and has him at gunpoint. So it's like a, a train of people at gunpoint. Yeah. <laughs> and all the while we're having like a, a Frasier-esque conversation where the priest is trying to counsel Smecker uh, while trying to conceal the fact that there are two armed men behind him. Yeah, so he's, it's a farce. You know, it's a farce. Uh, I, basically, Smacker comes to the realization that it's okay for him to help these guys, even though it's vigilante justice. He still is going to go with it. Yeah, he he also wants to be the Punisher. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which I don't know where the fuck that came from, where that sentiment came from, but okay, um, I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> uh. But yeah, so here's where I must have missed something because they somehow get captured. Do they? Do they just take rock? No, Kyle, you you didn't miss anything. <laughs> this is how it's presented. So we cut immediately from that scene uh, to them calling Smecker on a payphone. They have his business card and they call him and he answers on a payphone. How? Okay. How? Yeah. So they call him and now they. It, it's like an official alliance of sorts like they're actually coordinating with him because I guess they're going after Yakaveta now and um, I believe Smecker goes to talk to DeStefano the, the restroom valet uh, who tells him that he tells him he tells him something that like oh Yakaveta is like waiting for them he's planning to ambush them uh, and then immediately we don't see any progression or anything. We just cut to them in the basement of Yakaveta's home and they're being tortured. Yeah. Like there are some scenes missing here. That's a little frustrating. So Yakaveta is they they get the, they've been torturing them. They say some shit and then Yakaveta just shoots Rocco. Yeah. I mean, yeah that's they, the they come hand. to the conclusion that there's nothing to be gained from torturing them any further. Uh, and yeah, he just shoots Rocco. And uh, Sean Patrick Flannery lets out his trademark horribly ear-piercing yeah. scream. Um, this, this whole time, I was like, why are they so upset? He was kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, but, he wasn't okay. great. Uh, but yeah, they're super upset that Rocco's dead. Also, I think El Duce has gone rogue. Yeah, this was really strange, because uh, Yacoveta is talking to his, his goons in, in the foyer or whatever, and uh, one of them's saying, like, oh, uh, Il Duce is coming. He's he's still out to perform the hit. He's like Yakovetta's. Uh, he has some choice words in Italian, and you can tell he's like, "What the fuck? Like we got these guys. We don't need him anymore." But yeah, apparently Il Duce doesn't have an off switch or something. No. <laughs> so he's coming, and now he's going to kill his employers to get to his quarry. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, is what? Yeah. Like what it kind of business deal is that? Um. um Yes. Yeah, and that's when I think Smecker shows up at the front door. Yeah, so all the goons are armed and ready. Like, they're they're waiting for El Duce. They're like, we've got these guys down here. we got to wait for him. So, um, for some reason, um, Agent Smecker <laughs> has decided 
to dress in drag. And I remember watching this when I was younger. I'm like, that's the least convincing woman I've ever seen. And I even asked my girlfriend to make sure that I was right. I'm like, is that the least uh, convincing woman you've ever seen? She's like, yeah, that's 100% a man. <laughs> but this is my favorite line in the whole movie. It's offensive, but it's so funny because of how... Uh, the, how uh, Joey sent me in for you guys to be entertainment. Like, the voice he's doing. But the best line is the goon is like, fucking... He's so awesome. He's always sitting in Primo Box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what <laughs> I wrote down. Primo Box. <laughs> Primo Box. Jesus. Primo Box. That's the funniest line ever. Uh, uh, like, uh, that is like spectacular in its phrasing. Uh, and then Primo Box. Primo Box. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. He starts making out with her. I'm sorry, with um, what he assumes to be a hurt. Yeah. And he go inside, and his buddy's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, it's all right, man. We got enough guys. Let me just take care of this real quick. And he's like, yeah. all right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, man, hit it. So, yeah, they, they go off into the bathroom, and the McManus brothers are trying to escape. The one brother yeah. is trying to kick the handcuffs off the other one. And um, some shenanigans happen in the bathroom, and uh, Smecker ends up killing the guy. And I do – I like this this – well, this was where the slow motion was actually good. Um, he, uh, the guy figures out that it's a man, and uh, Smecker kicks him in the nuts really quick, and then turns around to grab his gun and shoots him. But I like this slow motion him coming up. He's like, yeah, blowing on his was, lips, like for some reason. It was a reason. good shot, and it it captures, I guess, the emotional intensity of doing something like that for the first time. Mm-hmm. So you can tell that like he's not enjoying it at that moment. It's just kind of like, oh, it's got to be done, and it happened. I did um, like his uh, <laughs> too far. Yeah, too far. I've I really enjoyed when uh, when he is outed, when his wig starts to slip off. Uh, his response, Smacker, he's like writhing on the tile floor, yeah. by the way, <laughs> on his back. <laughs> and uh, his response, though, immediately when the guy says, what the fuck, in response to his wig slipping off, is to let out this hyper-masculine... Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's like, I guess, if, I guess if the secret's out, you may as well just, like, go full Conan. Um, but yeah, he kills that guy and heads downstairs, and he looks like he's poised to go on a killing spree. Because he does shoot one other guy. He's about to shoot a third, but then he notices that, oh, this man's throat has been slit already. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets pistol whipped by uh, Il Duce from Il Duce, behind. yeah. So the the McManus brothers uh, manage to escape. They end up uh, killing this goon. And I think they're saying the prayer over him. Um, when Il Duce comes around the corner with a gun, and upon hearing them, he puts his gun away and he makes a little noise and the McManus brothers hear him and then he finally starts speaking and he's saying their little family prayer mm-hmm. well wouldn't you know it Il Duce is their father <laughs> uh, even when I was a teenager I was like what? what yeah I had the exact same response I'm like wait what Just, what okay uh, yeah that's silly um one what one could even call it hackneyed um unexpected as well uh being as no mention is ever really made to their family other than that 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 prayer i guess and then we yeah we we cut three months later yes uh, okay and 
and the Saints and Smecker and Il Duce, all four, all four of them, uh, invade a courtroom. And I guess Yakovet is doing some sort of de- deposition or something. Um, there's some chatter in the courtroom suggesting that whatever he's being charged with, if anything, uh, he will get off on because he's got a silver tongue and a lot of officials, a lot of city officials or something in his back pocket. Uh, and yeah, um, the four, well, Defoe sits out front. He's like wa- observing the scene through a crack in the door. Um, but the McManuses, all three of them, uh, they barge into the courtroom and hold everyone hostage, uh, demand that like all the all the news cameras be placed on them. And this is just utter insanity. <laughs> yeah, that's a big Batman speech about uh, how like we're going to kill you if you're bad. I mean, this is like an Al Qaeda kind of video or something. <laughs> like it's not good. Like, this is it's, like it's not good. <laughs> it's really irresponsible. Um, and also, uh, I noticed that uh the the Greek detective guy, the guy with the complicated name, uh he helps them out too. He like pulls a fire alarm. So he, oh, yeah. so he's he helping does. them too. He does help. I forgot about that. But I can't remember like exact words that are spoken in this scene, but it's like chilling kind of stuff where it's like, hang on, you actually believe this shit that you're saying? <laughs> that, yeah. That what you're doing is justified and, and righteous? Like they're, uh, and they're, you need these people to bear witness to your to your as as uh what Francis Dollarhide would say, great becoming. <laughs> yeah. Do you see? <laughs> Do you see? Do you see? Uh yeah, these <laughs> It's this is really irresponsible because one, you're putting your face out there like, oh look, we have all their descriptions because they did this on camera. Um, they're like, two, we're gonna, we're not going away. We're gonna keep doing this shit, even though you know what we look like and that we're Irish and that we're in Boston. We're still gonna keep doing this shit. <laughs> Here's like, my address. Here's my <laughs> phone number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what are you guys gonna do? You guys are gonna do shit about it because we're right. You know, we're right. And. The movie, they, I mean, they shoot him right there in the courtroom, all three of them, like the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, uh, like the little, little trinity there, and they just, uh, they pop him right there in the courtroom, and then they're in a hotel room with their da, he says some shit, and then the movie's over, pretty much, and I mean, besides yeah. some, uh, uh, what do you call, just, uh, some interviews, street interviews with people, what they think about the Boondock Saints. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, you could easily swap in the Saints with uh, Batman or yeah. the Punisher. Yeah, and it's basically that. Or yeah. people giving their thoughts on these vigilantes, and uh, one of these people is, of course, the uh, I think the producer slash director of Overnight. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, that's the Boondock Saints. Yeah. Um, it's there's you you can't it's one of those unfortunate movies where it's like you can't watch it um and be reminded of of the all its contemporaries <laughs> where it's like you know leon the professional and and pulp fiction and true romance and reservoir dogs it it, it all kind of it stinks of that but it's it's not quite that no. <laughs> It, but, it'll definitely pop up if you look up, like, oh, what, Pulp Fiction. What other movies come out around there? Oh, Leon the Professional, Boondock Saints. It's not even close to the same caliber of mm-hmm. a movie. Um, it's yeah, it's it's not bad. It's not very good. There's definitely there could have been 
uh, we could have been explained a little bit more, a um, little bit less violence towards women. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure, it would have been helpful. But there's still some there's still some fun stuff in here. It wasn't it wasn't too bad going back. Yeah, I mean, I I can't say I really enjoyed it. I mean, Willem Dafoe is just such a talented actor that yeah. he he made he made his scenes work absolutely. Um, that that Mr. Della Roca can he can just leave <laughs> like i just don't need him um is he in the second one by the way oh yeah god damn it <laughs> yeah he is in the second one and he's uh, trying to he, hawk that third the the boondock saints origins that's right i think he sent me that video of that ponzi scheme yeah <laughs> somebody lost some money like i don't know who who actually tried to buy the box it certainly wasn't primo box but no it wasn't <laughs> primo. that's so funny if it was called primo box the boondocks oh, primo box it's like yeah send us ten dollars send a ten dollar money order in the mail unlabeled and we'll send you a primo box we'll give you the letter that says you'll get it when it comes out like they're trying <laughs> you'll to get s- it when it's done they're trying to sell which you is never yeah they're trying to like get you to pay for so yeah the the i want a boondock saints 3 but apparently there's not a boondock saints 3 but they were working allegedly on a boondock saints origins of how they got there to where they were which would be entertaining i'm sure because it was supposed to be written and directed by troy duffy uh, but I don't think that that thing's going to see the light of day because they are trying, they have uh, David Delaraca, Delaraco, whatever, trying to get you to purchase an exclusive box set of the, of the series before it even comes out on any streaming device. And I'm like, my God, how, I want to know how much, did they make $20 off of this? Like... It's bad. Uh, some some idiot sent them some money. I kind of want to send them money just to see what happens. <laughs> and you get you get a box. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of want to just see what happens. Like maybe I'll get something. But it was an exclusive, only for a limited time. Only were you going to be offered that. Yeah, only true fans of the Saints. I'm gonna can, can possess this box. <laughs> I'm I'm actually gonna look into that after this. I'm gonna see if I can find it. <laughs> I'm gonna get that box. I'm gonna get that box. <laughs> That primo box. Jesus. Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah. This this is a. Uh, I think you were. I think you were very much in the right. This movie is much more fascinating if you've if you've seen Overnight. I yeah. That and I'm glad that we got to watch that documentary because it was eye opening and it's pretty incredible that this act this finished product somehow <laughs> we got this competent movie. We'll say that it's it's competent. Well, now that I mean that's why I'm excited about. Oh, oh buddy yeah. because i want to see like why it's like the boondock saints generally has a positive reputation generally nobody boondock saints too nobody has anything good to say about i i you're not it's not even this close to the same movie like it's just it's fascinating i can't wait for you to watch it i'm not looking forward to rewatching it <laughs> <laughs> you brought this on yourself kyle judd nelson is in two of my favorite bad movies that's that's saying something <laughs> Chad Nelson's in there. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, um, I guess tune in next time for the conclusion of our evening with Troy Duffy, uh, where we'll be watching the Boondock Saints 2. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. Until next time. Peace. <laughs>